I met you in the summer To my heartbeat sound We fell in love As the leaves turn brown And we could be together, baby As long as skies are blue You act so innocent now But you lied so soon When I met you in the summer Again and welcome to another episode of the Retro Wrestling Podcast. I'm intern Alex, joined as always by the one and only, the greatest referee in professional wrestling history, Patrick Young. And Patrick, here we are. We're in January. It's cold some days. It's hot some others. Things are crazy. The government's still closed. Pro wrestling continues to move on. It's it's it never ends. The news cycle never stops. So That's what right. happened this week in the world of pro wrestling? Sabu. Sabu has a tell-all book that's getting ready to come out. He wrote the book called Scars, Silence, and Superglue with former wrestler and manager Kenny Casanova. Casanova says he's pretty honest with everything. He talks about battling addiction. He talks about behind-the-scenes stuff as well. He talks about stuff that I would be embarrassed to tell. With all the damage that Sabu has taken over the years, especially to his head area and the rest of his body as well, I have a difficult time believing that the story will be told in its entirety and that it will be authentic. That's a problem with a lot of wrestler books, too. Right. Because wrestlers, by trade, are carnies. They they lie a whole lot. And no. They, yeah, it's true, Patrick. I hate to break it to you, but... I never would lie. They make up stories about the road, and they make up stuff about that. I'm sure his will probably be more authentic because we are talking about a guy that routinely ran into barbed wire, so he kept it about as real as possible in the ring when it came to taking damage and stuff. I'd be interested to read it, but I've got a whole list of books. To me, opening a book, Patrick, is the most challenging thing in the world. Absolutely. Because the time that I need to invest in it prevents me from even opening it. Like, yeah. I don't mind reading, because I, when I do read a book, I get into it, and I enjoy it. But it's just that initial step of opening the cover and actually doing it. Like You, you in the back of your mind, you're like, uh, do I really want to invest three days worth of downtime to read this book? I did the trial of Audible on Amazon and listened to the death of WCW, because I could never sit down and actually read all, like, 800 pages, like... Yeah. And it's like a week-by-week week breakdown. Like, uh, books are just a hard sell for me. Just like if you told me we were going to review a really bad pay-per-view. It's the same way. It's like, I'm about to click play. I'm about to commit this much time to whatever. It's a, the same way I feel about starting TV series. Like, Game of Thrones, this year will be its last season. So I'm like eight seasons behind. I've never started watching this thing. And I always want to, but I'm like, do I really want to commit to this? This is a big commitment for me. So I wish Sabu well with the book. Yeah. Uh, He's 55 years old now. He's still wrestling the indie scene. It would hopefully bring in some extra income. Yeah, hopefully it'll, you know, I hope it does well for him. 
I hope it really does do well. You can take him. a few less indie dates a year and uh, maybe go through a couple less tables a yeah. year. Uh, but am curious to hear what he has to say because he is one of those ECW wrestlers that is on the outs with the company, the WWE, that doesn't get interviewed a lot. Because even when they did that ECW panel a couple of years ago, they brought Taz back, who hadn't been on TV for a long time, but still no, no Sabu. Even when they did that weird... Uh, three-person ECW retrospective. They brought Mick Foley, Tommy Dreamer, and Raven, who was on outs with the company, but they never bring Sabu back for no, anything. Sabu's one guy that I would actually like to hear quite a bit from because him and Terry Funk, I think, are one of the two that... One of, one of the two guys that really put it blood, you know, sweat, heart, and soul into... You know, I'm not discrediting everyone else, but I'm just saying, you know, they they gave it every single ounce that they possibly could to make it be credible and to make it stand on its own. He's also a guy that, as a wrestler, isn't really remembered for his promos. So I don't even remember him speaking a whole lot. I don't think he's ever spoke. <laughs> no, I'm he, serious. I don't he's, think he's spoken ever... a few times. I Has think. he really? Very briefly, yeah. I... Maybe in the the WWE CW run. Maybe, yeah, just one. a little. Because I've never heard him. I had never heard Abdullah the Butcher speak in my entire life until the Hall of Fame. Until the Hall of Fame. That's interesting. Yeah, there's some wrestlers that I would not. That's a good idea for a game. Just play a sound clip and say, "What wrestler is this?" Because yeah, a lot. There's of, a couple out there that you're like, "Who the fuck is that?" I don't know. Even if we're not gonna hear him, uh, at least we're gonna get his thoughts. Sabu's deepest, darkest secrets. Yes, he was part of an organization called ECW, Patrick, and ECW was this upstart renegade promotion. And this week, that's the biggest story in pro wrestling. There's another upstart renegade promotion. That's right. All the elite guys, except for Kenny Omega, who still has a few weeks left on his New Japan contract, so he was not part of the announcement, but the elite have formed All Elite Wrestling with Tony Khan, who is the son of the owner of the Jacksonville uh, Jaguars, and they had a press conference in Jacksonville on Tuesday night outside uh right across the street really from the smackdown tapings so there was some crossover with the fans that went to the press conference and then went to smackdown the press conference though was at like five smackdown started at like six thirty or 7 so there was time for you to do both but they had this huge press conference which i'm not gonna knock the setup too much because i understand like it's the first press conference but I kind of expected a little bit more from the production of it. Like, they had Pyro, they had an AEW logo, they had music and stuff, but the way, the presentation wasn't exactly what I was expecting. Uh, They had wrestler announcements, people that they've signed, including Pac or Neville from the WWE. They've They've got Daniels and Kazarian. They've got Scorpio Sky. They announced Joey Janela would be joining them. He's injured right now. Uh, yeah, we've got a list here. Brandy Rhodes, Cody Rhodes, The Young Bucks, Hangman Page, Chris Jericho. Chris fucking Jericho. Well, he was saved for last. He was the big He was the big surprise. Hawk, so uh, Joey Janela, Penelope Ford, MJF, Brittany Baker, 
Christopher Dales, Frankie Kazarian, Scorpio Sky, and you have a couple on your list as well. Yeah, we've got Seema, L. Lindemann, T-Hawk, and Takahiro Yamamura. In addition to some of the behind-the-scenes staff was also unveiled, as Billy Gunn will be one of their producers. His son, Austin Gunn, is going to wrestle for the company as well. They hired Chris Harrington, or Mookie, from the WrestleNomics podcast. He's going to be involved with, I'm sure, the financial aspect of managing the books. Is this, this guy is brilliant. I, I, I don't give them enough credit, but the podcast they do is so unique to pro wrestling and that they only cover the economic side of it they they analyze really? ticket sales ratings uh house show attendance numbers they've they found documents about lawsuits and contracts and he he's done all this work he's an amazing amazing talent at what he does and for them to bring him on tells me at least they're serious about doing things the right way as far as the financials and securing contracts, hopefully treating their uh, wrestlers well. Brandy Rhodes mentioned, I believe, in her part of the press conference that the female wrestlers will be paid the same as the male wrestlers. Now, that was misinterpreted on the internet as to say that, oh, are you telling me that Britt Baker's going to make as much as Cody? Well, no, it's not that. It's that they will be paid. A mid-card female wrestler will make equal to what a mid-card male wrestler, that sort of thing. Not that everybody will be paid equally. Because that's just not how the business works. Not like, you know, Scorpio Sky or Joey Janela goes out there and they're paid eight hundred dollars a show okay Brittany baker goes out there and she's going to be paid like five hundred dollars a show it's not that way anymore she's going to be making eight hundred dollars as well right yeah and that's just i mean i'm obviously that's not a solid well right yeah they're gonna hopefully make a lot more yeah but but. we're just giving it a a comparison yeah but for some reason the people on twitter and wrestling fans were like just they misinterpreted that as that yeah. everyone's going to be making top star money and that's just not the reality of any business because it doesn't matter what you do uh, the pay there's discrepancy in the pay amongst even people in your own department you can do the same job as another guy and he might get paid more than you but there's reasons for it so what is your predictions for 2019 as it sets forward for all elite wrestling Uh, The Jericho signing got them some press because they actually made it onto CNN.com that said former WWE star signs with rival company. So that was a big get for them. Now, however, I'm a little concerned about how Jericho is looking these days. And I don't... It's not that he is not performing well in the ring because he's changed... His last few matches, he's completely changed his style. He's turned into Terry Funk. He's doing hardcore matches. And so you don't have to have some juiced up body and he is an older guy who's already had back issues but his look and his demeanor and his uh this this constant need to promote Fozzie and and work Fozzie into everything uh kind of I've kind of hit the brakes a little bit on Jericho but signing Jericho does get you street cred so to speak and correct uh, at the end of the month when Kenny Omega's contract expires. If he does not sign with the WWE, then that is the crown jewel, basically, of all elite wrestling, is is, is getting Kenny Omega. What remains to be seen about all of this, though, is the TV deal. Now, that 
is the make-or-break moment, and I talked about it last week for them. Uh, they announced their Double or Nothing show, so they have a sequel to All In, but they're having it in Vegas, okay? Now, Vegas is fine. Vegas is a fun city to go to. It's like New Orleans. However, it's like New Orleans in that there's a lot more to do other than go to the wrestling show, or Orlando, for that matter. You don't feel like, oh, I'm in the middle of this town and there's not anything to do. But by not having it in Chicago or Philadelphia or one of those super fan cities, I think that they're Charlotte. Kind of, the South is a tough sell for me because of how pro sports teams have performed in the South. I think for your initial show, which Double or Nothing will be, it's happening in May, apparently. I think it's maybe Memorial Day weekend. I think for that initial show, you want the most fervent crowd that you can get. You yeah. you want people to be going nuts. And I don't know that having it in Vegas is going to get you that crowd. I also think that ticket prices will be much higher than they were for all, oh, yeah. all in. The travel costs are going to be prohibitive to a lot of wrestling fans because Vegas is not very central in the country. It's not even Dallas. It's I would like to have seen it in Philadelphia. Because Philly fans love fucking wrestling, and they are hardcore wrestling fans. They don't they don't take shit. They expect the best, and they are extremely crazy and loud. And they they let it be known that would have been a great place for them to do the show. Yeah, my pick would have been to either return to Chicago or go back, like you said, to or go to Philadelphia or go to Philadelphia. That would have been my two picks. Now, Jericho has talked about it. Uh, Tony Khan, who's bankrolling this whole thing, talked about it, that they have offers on the table for TV deals. But the rumors that I've heard so far is that, yes, uh, TNT and TBS, which Time Warner is now a division of AT&T, so it's different ownership at the top. But that is the rumored destination. But what I've also heard is that it's not going to be in prime time. So, to me, I know that you can go back and watch things on demand and that, you know, Netflix has pretty much shown the world that you don't have to have something on every night at 8 o'clock. It doesn't have to be must-see TV anymore. You can just watch it when available. I do, though, think that the optics of that are very important, though, like to say Thursday night at 8, you can watch it. Maybe it's just because I'm getting older and that's just what I'm used to, but to me, to... You sound like a legitimate company or whatever. You have to have a primetime television deal. It, it would be really cool if they could get TBS primetime 605. If he could actually take it back to the old school wrestling roots like that. Because he's very... Cody is very open about the fact that he, he misses that, that spot, that portion. If he could do that... I think that alone is going to draw historical wrestling fans even deeper into this. And so that would be a big coup for them to get as well. Well, and to be on a Saturday would be a nice change of pace for right. where wrestling TV is currently. Because Monday and Tuesday nights and Sunday nights are just not really great to me for wrestling. But that's yeah. what we're used to now. My predictions for them this year, I think that they will... I do think that Kenny Omega will sign with them, but everything hinges on the TV deal. If they get a great TV deal, then 
It's off to the races. The sky's the limit. They're not going to draw an audience near what Raw or SmackDown does for the first year, at least, at minimum. Probably the first few years. I think you're... I forgot what the ratings were for the All-In pre-show on WGN America, but I think it was about half a million people. I think that's probably where you're going to start at, and you have to then... The pressure's on you to create a good product, and I know that they had success at All-In with how the show was booked and how the show was run, but we get back to production value. Uh, who's booking? Co- Cody and, and the Bucks and, and all these guys are now in authority roles. Now they are actually bosses. That was what was kind of special about All-In, is that, yes, they were they had booked the arena and they had bankrolled it, but it didn't feel like there was an authority figure in charge. And now there's going to be somebody, Tony Khan, there's going to be somebody to answer to. And that dynamic could change everything about how you know, Dixie Carter and how she ran TNA ran it into the ground. And Tony Khan has never run a wrestling promotion. Oh, see, and when you put something along the lines of of like a Jeff Jarrett running TNA, it's all well and good. But it was only Jeff Jarrett. Well, right, but even even when Jarrett was running things, you run into... When you have a talent that's heavily involved in management, you run into a problem of, well, he wants to book himself at the top a lot. I mean, yeah. it happened in WCW, even though Hogan wasn't an owner of WCW, but he had so much power where... Well, Hogan, and then it went on with Nash. Well, yeah, Nash, Nash was a booker for a yeah. while. As long as they can separate their on-screen characters from their administrative roles in the back and not mix business with politics... They will be okay. Yeah. And I think... But like I said, my biggest concerns, TV deal, production value, and obviously booking, and how they book, and who they book, and the talent that's available to them, because WWE is in the middle of taking over the world as far as signing every single talent that comes along. And it makes me wonder if that's why they were, they're were they doing yes, it. Yes, absolutely. Is to, is to try to try to shut down AEW before it really got started. At the rate Impact Wrestling is going, I believe that Impact Wrestling will probably, unfortunately, fold very soon. And so that talent pool then is available. And if they can't get their hands on some of that talent, including, uh, like... I think Abyss would do great over there. He would be their version of Kane or whatever. He would be their monster. I feel feel like that would be a great spot for him to go. Well, I think that the Lucha Brothers, Pentagon and Ray Phoenix, are probably the hottest commodities they have. And if, if they get swept up into the WWE... I mean, I just... It's it's going to be a, an arms race as far as signing talent. Yeah. And they don't have the advantage that WWE has and that WWE has so much money that they can sign everybody and not even use them. If AEW signs you, they're going to want to use you. You're because gonna, yeah, you're, you're going to work. You're going to work and you might not get the amount of money right off the gate. At the very start, right out of the gate, I mean. But... You're guaranteed to be working. So it's up to you. It's like we said it time and time again. Do you want to work or do you want to make money? Because at this point in time, that's kind of how it turns out to be. You can make a shit ton of money and sit on your ass and not do a damn thing. Or you can actually do this, do what you love, not get paid as much, 
but knowing that you're doing what you love and you're making a name for yourself. But because if you go over here to WWE and they sit you on your ass for two years, your credibility shot. Right, you you lose value on on the indie side. On the uh, yeah. And we mentioned it before, but there's a few WWE stars who their contracts are coming due, including AJ Styles, which the rumor was this week that he told them if he was to re-sign with them, he wants a lighter schedule. Well, AEW would have a lighter schedule for you, and it would be a lot closer to Gainesville, Georgia, uh, Jacksonville, Florida, than Stanford, Connecticut. Uh, There's also the Revival. There's uh, several guys on the WWE roster who... Uh, would, when their contracts come due, I think that they would seriously consider taking it up because of the way that they've been mismanaged in the yeah. WWE. The Revival, would, I feel like, would do great over there as well. But then, once again, you run into, if we only have two hours of TV each week, how many people can we really afford to carry on our roster? So Yeah, but if you don't carry a group... Of people and you just have like a core of 15 guys it's going to get stale really quick right uh, that's another problem that you run into they're going to have to have you know squash matches and stuff yeah. and to to fill because you can't have you'll run out of feuds in one year basically right if you but they're not doing monthly pay-per-views so they can stretch feuds out a lot longer but like you said yeah it gets because now we're used to the four week new a four-week feud is yeah. what we're used to, and now you're going to try and stretch it and stretch it. And the attention span—I talked oh, about yeah, this yeah. a couple of shows ago. The attention span of 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 wrestling fans is so much different than what it was in the '80s, where you could stretch it four months to a pay-per-view, or you could stretch it even a year if it's your main event for your major show. Now you get two months for a major, major storyline rivalry you get three weeks for a regular rivalry and at that point in time the fans lose interest media has just changed so much that right. we've got so much to choose from and like like i said the most daunting task is opening a book i mean turning on another television show you've got so much and in addition to your work your family your school whatever you're into there's just uh, we just don't have the time that we used to, and that's as a society, that's something that has has changed. And indie wrestling has kind of grasped onto that. Some are still missing it, but if you're doing a show every two weeks, then they've realized, hey, I can stretch it two shows, maybe three shows. So you're getting a month and a half out of story writing or whatever. If you're doing a show once a month. You get one show, some some on the uh, online interview bullshit, and you got to have the culmination at the next show. Period. And what independent wrestling does is great, and what AEW is going to do is hopefully going to be great. But you're also appealing to the most hardcore fans. You're appealing to fans that are already fans of pro wrestling. Yeah. And you need to grow right. your your base. And how do you reach people that? Had had given up wrestling in 1999 or whatever, you know, or gave up when WCW shut its doors. They were just done. It's not a bad idea for a for a DDP to be utilized every couple of months, or for a Jake Roberts to do a run in and hit a DDT, or for a Kevin Nash to come in hit a power bomb, 
Or maybe even do like a tag match where he's not having to do much. It's not a bad idea to get a legend name in there. Not not to get himself over. Specifically make that clear. But to get your talent over. So that way old school wrestling fans that don't watch anymore from the, the Attitude Era and the Monday Night Wars. They're like, ooh, I remember this person. Click it on. They see that guy make your talent better. And they're like, fuck, I'm interested. And you draw them right back in. So yeah, that's the way to bring uh, us old timers back. But to bring to bring in new fans, you're gonna have to keep doing things like being the elite and the YouTube series because yeah, kids live on YouTube. Kids yeah. live in five minute clips, and yeah. that's really the avenue they're gonna have to to find is how to hit social media and all these social media stars that I have no idea who they are but have millions and millions of followers, they need to find that magic and, and reach there to to draw in more more eyeballs. But that's that's something that the WWE has really kind of failed at the last few years is drawing in new fans. Do you see... We, we've talked about it, and they, they kind of hinted on it with uh, All In... But do you see a NWA slipping in the door there and kind of... Oh, I think that... Being a hint into AEW. I think that the NWA is in a very unique position because the way Billy Corgan has run it thus far, he's allowing his talent to go into other promotions. I believe they're working currently with Impact on something uh, this week or maybe next week. I think they will be incorporated into AEW, but I think the NWA will still remain as its own... Its own entity. When it wants to run its own shows every once in a while in Nashville. When they do the... When they do the Crockett Cup tournament here in a few weeks, when that when that happens, they still want to do that kind of stuff, but they, they will definitely be uh, infused into AEW. As well as, I think, Ring of Honor, if they lose their agreement, their working agreement with New Japan, and New Japan decides to work with All Elite instead of Ring of Honor, that could be a major blow to Ring of Honor. So there's another potential seismic shift in the yeah. the power of the power structure of pro wrestling really rests upon uh New Japan and NWA and Impact's futures and who they decide to work with and if they decide to close and if they decide to what whatever they're actually really probably holding all the cards to AEW's success because they have all the talent that AEW is going to need to AJ Lethal I'm not sure when right, his contract yeah. comes up. AJ Lethal, though, would fly in AEW. He has the star power. He has the... He's still young. He's still young, but he has the the years behind him to know, hey, this is a good idea, this is a bad idea. I feel like he would definitely be one to, to step forward in, in that aspect, in that role. Before the year's out, I'm not sure, I'm assuming... Because TNA doesn't really do, or Impact doesn't really do contracts anymore, do they? Do they still have like solid yearly contracts, or is it more like a show-to-show basis? They do have, they do sign them to contracts, but they're not. It's got to be very small. Yeah, and it's not. But someone like a Tessa Blanchard would would hit the market. You took the yeah. you took the words right out of my mouth. I, that right there, I'm calling it right now. Tessa Blanchard is going to be the. Trish Stratus 
of all elite of all elite wrestling. She's going to be the female star. She's going to be the the Alexa Bliss or the Charlotte Flair of all elite wrestling because of that fact that she has that name that name base. She has the credibility and, and she's, she's very a good. Fucking workhorse, man. She's a fucking workhorse. She will do whatever you ask her to do. She will definitely jump over to all elite before 2019's over. Let's get the TV deal done first, and then, yeah. we'll, then we'll talk later. Show me the money once yeah. again. Well, Patrick, you expanded your horizons this week. I did. In the world of video games, as I continue to struggle at the million-dollar tower on uh, 2K19. The other night, I, I, I had a good run again. I made it up to uh, Undertaker Hell in a Cell and uh, immediately ate a choke slam and got pent. Uh, that was wrestler. I think he's number ten on the list, maybe. So. Oh wow! So you're getting up there. I get. I cannot get past four. So yeah, I made it to Cena. Cena's after Taker, uh, but I ended up in a ten minute time limit draw with him a few weeks ago, and now because I tasted a little bit of success in the million dollar tower, I keep you're, going. You're. You're. Yeah. I want that golden AJ, but I. I just can't get there. But you have moved on you've moved to a different wrestling video game product i i never played the original you had i played a version of fire pro wrestling i there's been many different versions it's been going on in japan for a very very long time it's actually uh aki i believe is what it's called is is the company that makes it they're the ones who actually made the engine of like no mercy and wrestlemania 2000 and WCW NWO Revenge and all those great N64 games were actually built upon this engine. They were modified to a 64-bit system where Fire Pro Wrestling has always stuck to this very traditional old-school 16-bit looking design. Right. You can tell that it's definitely souped up now that it's on modern-day consoles, but the basic game is still pretty much the same. I played Fire Pro Wrestling Returns for the PS2 and uh, like I told you when this game was announced, I said, uh, you know, the control system was very off-putting to me, and I just set it down. It is very. It's I I purchased Fire Pro Wrestling. I'm trying. Uh, to... New Japan stars are on the cover, and they they have a deal where they get to use their name talent. It's but New Japan World Fire Pro Wrestling is how it's basically put on the thing. So I don't know what you would technically call this one. Anyway, I purchased it for PS4. Uh, been playing it for two weeks now. We didn't talk about it last week because I still had uh, some issues. <laughs> um, but it's very it's very unique in the fact that the control system is so fucking different. Oh, than, yeah. Than any other wrestling game you will ever play. But what's cool about it, right off the main screen, is you have nothing but just training. And it will train you. And it goes literally like a hundred and something moves or a hundred and something different button types. And it trains you. And once you go through the training, you realize actually it's just like instead of one button and a joystick, it's like, you know, square and X. Or so you're just taking the joystick side out of it and you're just doing two. So it actually is much easier than you would think. However, it, uh, it is much different as well. And but it's entertaining as hell. There's so much customization you can do in the game. That's what really sets it apart. Is just all the creator wrestler stuff and the ring type and the match types and there's octagons you can put in there and 
Yeah. All exploding shit in the ring. And- yeah, dude. I've done uh, the exploding barbed wire matches and cut my ass. Dude, when you land on that or you do barbed wire matches, it's not just blood from the head. Like, you're bleeding from your chest. You're bleeding from your arms. It's like you quickly become from going white to red. And you can tell, like, this, the... It, the graphics are good enough that you can tell like the indention scratches and stuff like that. It's very entertaining. It's very interesting. I hate the camera angle because you're like right over the fucking one ring post. Right, yeah. It almost puts the ring in like a diamond shape, right? Yeah. yeah. I, I hate that. Because it throws my abilities off because I think I'm close to the guy and I'm still like five inches behind him so you got to try to do something and you miss completely. Oh, so yeah. So it throws it. you got to really watch that you're Depth spot on. perception. Yeah. It really throws that off. Other than that, it's, it really is a very interesting game. How are the uh, ring entrances and stuff? Do they do? They do, they do ring entrances. Do they have, like, music? and like, No music, but you get, like... Uh, pyro. You get pyro, and you get smoke, and you get lights. So it looks like a very Japanese entrance, basically. Very, very much so, yes. That's cool. So, would you recommend it as a rent or a buy? I would recommend it as a rent, possibly to buy. Okay. Because it is, like you said, it is not for every wrestling fan. This is for a very select few that are diehard wrestling gamers. Yeah, and I think it's really... I think it's strength, and I said this before, I think, but... It's real strength lies in its customization stuff, and if you really like creating wrestlers and creating your own characters and, you know, messing with menu screens. Like, there's like a million menu screens on this thing that you can toy with and tinker with, and you can change wrestlers' names, and you can do just anything you want. Like, it's for... I think it really appeals to people that are into, like, RPGs and people that are really into games where they have a lot more control than uh, a 2K19 where it's sort of, yeah, you there are some customization options and people do amazing things on there, but you're still sort of in this, you feel like you're in this box, whereas Pro, Fire Pro Wrestling, the world is yours. You can just do whatever you right. want in this in this universe. Yeah. So I think it's really for people that would enjoy it most are people that enjoy tinkering with, yeah. with things. Yeah, they want to actually role play as they are running a wrestling organization. Yes, yes. Uh, so, but a thumbs up overall. Huh? Yeah, I give it four out of five stars. I do. I give it a... Thanks, Dave Meltzer. Yeah, I give it four out of five stars. It's a, it's a two thumbs up, four out of five stars. It's a hey. It's a, <laughs> it's a Fonz. <laughs> it's a Fonzie, yeah. Okay, well, that'll do it for news for this week. I mean, uh, all lead. it was really all about that. There was, yeah. there was some slight controversy about shirts getting into SmackDown Arena that said all elite on them but i didn't i don't buy into the hype and i just i wanted to acknowledge that there was a story about that this week that was like the most talked about thing on tuesday night which by the way smackdown was an amazing show on tuesday night one of the best smackdowns that i've seen maybe in years actually because it went they flowed so smoothly yeah it was beautiful like one match would end and another match would start patrick imagine that and Rey Mysterio hit a Canadian destroyer on Cien Almas in the middle of the ring, which I had never seen on uh, WWE television. They also 
had this big match for the number one contendership for the SmackDown Women's title was the main event uh, between uh, Charlotte, uh, Becky, and Carmella. And instead of doing those stupid, my guests at this time, interviews, they did sit-down pre-tapes with all three of them. It was it looked beautiful. Uh, Becky, unfortunately, I'm kind of disappointed because she ended up winning, which sounds strange, but that means that she'll face Asuka at the Rumble, which almost makes me think she won't be in the Rumble. Uh, Becky Lynch? Yes. So No, she's going to win the title. But then that, how would she get to Ronda at WrestleMania? I know that you are in the I want Ronda and Charlotte at WrestleMania camp. I think you're on an island. I know that there's a lot of people with you on that island, but I am in the I want Becky and Ronda at WrestleMania. And title for title. Well, both champions collide in the first ever Raw versus SmackDown Women's Championship match. I'm not saying yeah. that you're, you put the titles on the line. I'm just saying. But you, so you make it a three way? Is that just. I, I just think. No, I'm just saying Charlotte. I'm saying Becky and. and Rhonda. Rhonda. I, we got fucked over on the on the Charlotte thing. So well, that, I think that that's a good SummerSlam. Well, oh, so you've you've changed your vote now. You I, actually, I want it to be WrestleMania. I don't see it going to okay. be. Okay, so I I'm in the camp that I believe that Charlotte will be booked to win the Rumble, and Becky will have to be inserted into the match some other. I just think they're going to cop out and do the three way, which is fine. I mean, it's. It will still be the biggest match on the card at this, at, at this rate. And it the, needs to fucking close the show. Yes. Listen to me carefully. It needs to close the show. But I kind of... I would rather see a one-on-one match between yeah. any of the three than yeah. three ways. Just because the three ways are so overdone now. Right. Where it's always just a, a just sort of a cop-out, but... I did want to give props that I thought SmackDown was excellent this week. And also the Mean Gene tribute, uh, the video, beautiful, beautifully done. Uh, Hogan's part was fine. He did a Hogan promo and he left. He didn't make it about himself, so that was fine. But the video they did, it was it's four and a half minutes. It's They took all the, the greatest hits of Mean Gene, put music. They always do fantastic work with those videos, and I included it on last week's podcast at the very end, so you can listen to it there or just find it anywhere online, but it's a it's a very beautiful tribute to Mean Gene Okerlund. Also want to remind you to go to powerslam.tv, enter the promo code RETROWRESTLING, and get a month for free. Over 4,100 hours of content, Patrick, in the last week. They've added 100 hours of content. They're More. adding shit every week, man. Yes, I get an email every week from the folks at Power Slam TV telling me the new additions, and I am always amazed that they keep coming up with more content every every week. They're and, adding shit every week, and uh, I, I'm proud that we're partnered up with them because I feel like they are the future of on-demand wrestling. Yes, eventually there will be just a site with everything on it, and yeah. hopefully it's powerslam.tv. Now, for this week's pick, Patrick, you picked the Royal Rumble, which is coming up here in 2019, and so you wanted to go ahead and get our Rumble pick, I guess, out of the way. Oh, we're doing more than one, but yeah. Uh, so you sent us back to 1995, 24 years ago, as we checked out Tampa, Florida's Sundome. The USF Sundome in front of 10,000 people. 
The tagline being 30 men, one winner, something's gotta give. It's January 22nd. Of course, the winner of the Royal Rumble will headline WrestleMania 11. But the biggest part of this, the winner of the Royal Rumble, gets to walk the aisle at WrestleMania with none other than Pamela Anderson. Yes, that was the actual prize of the Royal Rumble was an adult female. Yes. Uh, So there you go. That was what we are doing for... Vince is cashing in on the uh, the Baywatch fame back in 1995. Yes, he... Well, which is kind of odd because WCW had a Baywatch episode. Right. Like, shortly thereafter. Right. So, in a weird way, they both had the same idea. Vince and Eric Bischoff. Gotta get in with Baywatch. Well, it was the hottest TV thing in the 90s. Well, it's very, it's a very strange thing because now shows are not done like that. There are no syndicated just shows. There's syndicated talk shows. There's like Ellen or Rachel Ray, and there's, there's syndicated talk shows. But there's not syndicated weekly drama. TV. Yeah, weekly yeah. drama. Like the original like New Generation uh Star Trek or whatever. Yeah. Star Trek was was syndicated. Yeah. It was just on whatever channel they want. Whoever bought it, yeah. they just don't do that anymore. And no. Baywatch was able to become this cultural phenomenon despite not being on a major net. I think they were on NBC maybe for like one year, and then they were on syndication the rest of the time. So very strange. And for it to have the following it had, that was very unique too. I think it was a good place for pro wrestling to look for new viewers or to try to incorporate because you sort of have to go out of your way to find wrestling so you have to go out of your way to find Baywatch so <laughs> right. if you're committed so uh, we missed the dark match Buck Quartermain defeated the Brooklyn Brawler so unfortunately wow Brooklyn Brawler well he lost he took he took a loss he took an L imagine that over who he lost to Buck Quartermain. Who the fuck is Buck Quartermain? Buck Quartermain, Jason Seguini, and he was an old football player, I think. But dude, he was working in TNA still in 2005. Really? So, even though I have no idea who this is... What's he even look like? Do you have a picture there? I will... No, I'll, I'll look him up. Buck Quartermain. Because now I'm intrigued as to what he looks like. He looks like Lance Storm. I have no idea who the fuck that is. It's I guess it's that guy, because that's Bob. It's him and Backlund, yeah. Whoa, if that's... That can't be... If Ooh, jeez. Roydy Magoo. Yeah, he's just generic. He's generic creator wrestler. Go on Fire Pro. You can create him easily. Yeah, Buck Quartermain. Uh, big fan following. So the Rumble pay-per-view begins. We're watching the network version, so we don't get the free-for-all. A white limo pulls up, and all the geek heels are waiting for Pamela Anderson to step out. And she does, and immediately doesn't pay any attention to them and goes straight to her dressing room. Correct. And all of the geeks, like Doink and Mabel, and every they just look on. They're just they're so sad. Yeah. When she pays them zero attention. Dink was sitting there trying to give her a flower. It was pretty funny. Beach music plays over the Rumble logo, as uh, of course, since we're in Tampa, we have to have a beach theme. It's awful music. It's bad. Yeah. Vince welcomes us to Tampa, Florida, but he does it in his Mr. McVan voice. Welcome to the Royal Rumble. 
Tonight, he's calling the pay-per-view with Jerry Lawler. No JR. Another time when JR was on the outs here. Okay, so Ross was with the company, but he was with... uh, Ross was only doing syndicated shows. He was not part of Raw or anything else. Okay. So he was he was part of the team, but he had been fired in '94 and rehired. Uh, I'm assuming that's the first firing because he only started in '93. Yes, he got let go in February of '94 and then was brought back in December of '94. So he was fired in February and rehired in December. So what is? So what was what, the point does, at all? Does Vince get like ex- enjoyment out of just? Fucking with Jim Ross. Yeah, just hey. fucking with him and his life. Like I just he just he just fucks with his life. All the no time, reason. constantly. Yeah. It's like, oh, you had a Bell's palsy attack, I'm sorry. Then just like gender just like announces it, personal shit. Oh, you gotta go have a uh colonoscopy. Colonoscopy. Okay, we gotta do a video skit for fifteen fucking minutes of it. Where we pull your head out of your own ass. Yeah, yeah. He gets enjoyment out of screwing with his life, man. He's, he's like, <laughs> yeah. he's like, how can I fuck with him today? It's an abusive relationship, <laughs> really, because is. Jim Jim keeps going back. Yeah. He keeps going back to his abusive lover, Vince McMahon, who will hire him and fire him randomly and fuck with him randomly. Yeah. I don't know. It's very strange. Like, yeah. One one episode we just need to do a Jim Ross retrospective of him getting fired and rehired and what happened and how they presented it on TV and we could do three hours of it probably. That's not a bad idea. Yeah. That would be extremely entertaining. So Vince is going to call this. He was the main announcer on Raw also, Vince. Now, this begs the question, and I asked Brenton this earlier and he instantly answered. He didn't even have to think about this. You have to choose one play-by-play guy out of the following two. Vince McMahon or Tony Schiavone? Oh, no, see, you're actually thinking Vince. about... You're taking Vince over take Tony Vince. Schiavone? Yeah. Oh, man. I really? I have to take Tony. because really? it Partially because of what Bretton reminded me of, and that's the... One, two, he got him! No, he didn't. Like, he always thinks every near fall is the end of the match, and also, the thing that I brought up, the, the what a maneuver, because he doesn't know wrestling moves. and Neither did Schiavone! I know, but at least Shivani was... I don't know, he didn't... Shivani's like, what the hell they call that? And he has to well, turn it to yeah. But for some reason, he... Well, and he was constantly worried about Hulk Hogan and what yeah, Hulk Hogan was doing. Exactly. But I would rather have Tony. I think... Tony isn't so invasive as Vince is. Because, I, like, I like Tony, don't get me wrong. Well, yeah, I, I think both of them are fine. Like, they're serviceable, but like... Vince had a more of a a class to him about doing it that I actually enjoyed. But no, I like Tony a lot, and that, that is a very neck-and-neck conversation that you could sway anybody's argument either way, I feel like. So, Carlos and Hugo are the Spanish commentators... Why is the table? Yes, uh, that's a very. I was. That was my very next note. Why is the announce table? They decided to go retro with the retro, table. Retro, and it's lifted up on a ska- on like a, a stage type deal, and it's pulled away from the ring. It's out in the crowd. Yeah, and they had really gone away from this for a while. It seemed like. Yeah, I mean, what ninety two? I think they were still. They were. They had just started sitting at the ring, which led into ninety. 3's uh, Wrestlemania which was Wrestlemania 9 
and where they're right there at the ring. So I don't know why two years later they're right back up to the whole. Well, and I think during Raw they sit ringside, so why would you change it up here? I, yeah. I think maybe in Vince's mind was, oh, it's the Rumble. People are getting thrown out. They need more space, I guess. I don't. That's the only... I did think it was odd, though. I made note of that. Like, yeah, they're out in the crowd for some reason. Well, and then they even, they're cutting after an incident You will we will talk about here. Vince turns around, says his shit, turns right back around in the oh, camera. Oh, yeah. Camera's staring at the back of his fucking head. <laughs> that was annoying to me because they're looking at the ring, but it's just right over his shoulder at the back of his fucking head. I wonder, yeah, it I wonder done, why Kevin Dunn sat on that shot after he turned around. Like, after he said what he needed to say, it was cut like, to it was something like a 15, 20 second just right there. We like, just need to see that turn. I guess. I don't know. So. Double J. Oh, I. this is why you picked this pay-per-view, because your heart went aflutter when you heard that twangy Double J Jeff Jarrett guitar music That's hit. That's right. And he walked out with The Roadie. My baby tonight. Well, on the network, it was his Attitude Era theme, so I don't know if... That wasn't his Attitude. I mean, on the network it was, but it was... With My Baby Tonight. Yeah. And originally, yeah. probably. Yeah, I would think so. I thought it was weird that... Yeah, he definitely wasn't using this music in 95. He's in his polka dot male stripper number and his cool double J light-up hat, which is what he should have worn out to his Hall of Fame speech. That'd be great. The the light-up sunglasses and the light-up hat. That'd be awesome. He's taking on the Intercontinental Champion, the bad guy, who's actually a good guy, Razor Ramon who is in his hometown of Tampa, and Razor gets an awesome, cool pyro entrance. Like, they spent a fortune on this guy's pyro. He always got that, and I'm... I'm, It was beautiful. Like, other guys didn't get that. He got that. When Warrior come back, Warrior got it. Yes. Sid always got it. Yeah, they had Sid and the the sparklers spelled out. Sean with the, the shooting pyro. But not everybody got that. It's like you had... And it's strange that he was never... Well, he did have a world title shot in 93 or something, but he he was never a main... Like, he was never in the main event mix, but he always got this huge entrance. Right. And, you know, pomp and circumstance, but yet... Oh, you're kicking off the show with Double J, sorry. Tim White is our referee. Referees tonight, Patrick. I'm going to give them a grade right now. F. F. Why, it, why is this? Because they would fuck up all night uh, with the rules. Not not with their counts. They didn't botch their counts, so I'll give them that. Oh, but, you mean later on when we get into the... Oh, uh, the matches tonight. Okay. The, 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 yeah. Just the... Uh, they just... You guys were just letting everything go. Oh, yeah. And just uh, letting wrestlers make their own rules. Just maybe they were not... The baseball union had had been on strike the year before. Maybe the refs were thinking about, oh, let's just go into business for ourselves and let the let the people run themselves. I don't know what's going on tonight, but the refs, they were just it was it was madness. It was chaos. Brutal. There was no one brutal, no authority here. Razor gets a chant from this Florida crowd. He hits a fallaway slam after a few strikes, a choke slam, and I'm like, damn, he's going to put Jarrett away in seconds here <laughs> as he's like already hit his signature spots. Jarrett bails to the outside of the ring, and 
I really love the roadie taking care of Jeff, wiping him down with the towel. Do you want some water? <laughs> like, but this is what a manager should actually do yeah. for the wrestler. Yeah. Like, offer them some assistance outside of just cheating for them. Well, like, instead of standing in his corner table, I loved when the roadie knelt down so, like, everybody could see his guy, you know. Well, and I also like that when Jarrett would strut, he would strut on the outside, too. <laughs> like... He played his role perfectly here. He really did. It's almost like what happened to The Miz and Damian Sandow. It's like, he's almost too good. He's, like, gonna outshine the main guy. And that's ultimately what ended up happening in this company. Uh, Jared is more interested in strutting than fighting. They get into some wrist lock exchanges, and Jared paintbrushes Razor on the mat. Razor eventually clotheslines Jared out of the ring. This wakes the crowd up. Jared takes some more sips of water and hands it back to the roadie. Jarrett calls Razor a chicken, challenges him to a test of strength, which he immediately loses and gets shoulder blocked. Vince mentions Lawrence Taylor is here tonight. I wonder why he's randomly mentioning that. That's odd. Jarrett hits a few drop kicks to Razor and a shitty leaping clothesline for a two count. Jarrett misses an enziguri and almost sneaks a pinfall victory after Razor misses an elbow drop. Razor backslides Jarrett for a two count. Jarrett sunset flip fails and gets punched in the face, but they keep exchanging near falls. Jarrett locks on a sleeper, but Razor shoots him into the ropes and eats a swinging neckbreaker for his trouble. But Tim White catches Jarrett using the ropes, so he does do his job here and catches the cheater. Razor crotches Jarrett on the post. Razor hits a second rope clothesline for a two count. Jarrett throws Razor over the ropes, and uh uh-oh, Razor's got a bad wheel. Because when he lands, he messes up his leg. And then, to make matters worse, the roadie chop blocks him behind Tim White's back. Razor goes to sleep with his hurt leg out on the aisleway and gets counted out. Your winner, by countout, Jeff Jarrett. Jarrett then says, you know what, no, I don't want that. So he grabs the microphone, and he wants the match restarted. He didn't come all this way just to get his arm raised. He wants that belt. He says to Razor, you're a coward, and you're wearing yellow on your trunks, and you might as well have a stripe on your back because you're yellow. You're no Chico. You're a chicken. He ain't getting out this easy. I didn't come here to get my hand raised. You people didn't come here to watch Double J get his hand raised. And out in pay-per-view land, you didn't pay your good money to watch Double J get his hand raised. But he's, what's and he talking about? most importantly, myself, I came here to take the Intercontinental title from around your waist, Razor Ramon. That's right. So if you think you're getting out this easy, you're proving to everyone just what a real coward you are. Yeah, he's trying to entice Razor to come back to the ring. Is that what he's trying you to do? You may have yellow on your boots and on your knee pads and on your tights. Well, you might as well go ahead and paint a yellow stripe up your back. Because if you don't get back in the ring and finish this match, one way or the other, four, one, two, three. Then you are a big coward. The matchup is over. Razor was counted out. The matchup is over. He ain't no Chico. He ain't no bad guy. You heard me. He what kind Chico. of man is he, McMahon? It must be chicken. Chicken, 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 chicken. Obviously, as we stated uh, at the outset, you cannot win a WWF championship on a counter disqualification. You must pin your opponent of the greatest singer, the greatest entertainer, and greatest wrestler in the world today. 
got to admit, McMahon, if he can walk, Step he ought to get ring. back in the ring. Step out of the way. Wait a minute. Double J is attempting to entice come Razor to come back into yeah, the ring. Let's finish this match one, two, three. And here, Double J's roadie was the person to put Razor out of the match. Let's go, He's trying to get Razor to get back into Let's the ring go, and continue the matchup. Match. He's going to do can't it. I can't believe it. Is he going to? Razor Ramon apparently is going to do just that. yellow belly coward. Well, come on, Rick. Let's, let's see, McMahon. Let's see if you'll show everybody how tough he really yeah, is. Come on in here. We're going to finish this match. Referee, quit trying to talk him out of it. Well, now the official asking Razor Ramon. He's going to start it. And Razor, this was the straw that broke Razor's back, as he would not be called a chicken. He was limping all the way back to the ring. So yes, dumbass, baby-faced Razor Ramon, hurt. A baby-faced never turns down a challenge, so he, of course, accepts a restarting of this match. The match starts, and Jarrett just immediately assaults Razor's bad leg. Though Jarrett nearly gets beaten, though, with a couple of small packages from Razor, but Jarrett just goes back to work on the leg. Figure four for ages... But Razor just smacks Jarrett to get out of it. Razor hulks up, but his leg is still weak. Razor, naturally, on a bad leg, tries a back suplex off the turnbuckles on Jarrett, but can't get a three count. Razor calls for the Razor's Edge, lifts Jarrett up, and I'm like, oh, he's gonna hit it. Nope. Ah, uh, knee buckled. Leg gave out. Jarrett rolls him up for the win, and we have a new Intercontinental Champion, Double J, Jeff Jarrett. Ain't beat, beat he, him twice. Ain't, ain't he great? Yeah, two wins in one night yeah. for Jeff Jarrett. Yeah. Oh boy, this match was just so slow because it went so. And just much. when you thought it was done, they said, "Hey, you like that? Let's have some more." It went so much longer than it needed to have gone. For some reason, they decided to make the rumble shorter than before. Apparently, the rumble too long for Vince's liking, so they shortened the entrance time in the rumbles to 60 seconds. Or that's what they said. It felt like 10 seconds in some cases. So they shortened the rumble, so they needed to fill time in other areas, and for whatever reason, they said, let's give this match two matches. Let's make one match into two. Let's fill some time here. Now, I think Jarrett played the role of chicken shit heel perfectly for the first part of the match, but Razor, you gotta do more offense than yeah. that. You gotta do something. You yeah. can't just run for the whole time. I mean, Jarrett's theatrics were good. Like I, like I said, I think he played his role well, but I think it, it was a case of where Razor knew the ulti- that he was dropping the belt, and when Razor... And Nash and those when the click knows that they're they're booked to lose, the effort they put in usually shows. And I think Razor uh, didn't really do his part here very well. Uh, I I liked the the finish of the match though when his leg gave out. I thought that was cool. I thought for the most part he sold his leg well, uh, better than most people do in today's WWE. But and whoever booked this match clearly didn't read the sheet and see how the title match would be booked later because oh, man. they took the exact same playbook and hit copy and paste for the world title match later Not on. Not once, but twice, I might add. Yeah. So there you go. Uh, that's... Uh, I don't think this should have been the opener. I would have swapped the place of the tag team match here with uh, the one two three kid because Sean Waltman, back in 1995, the way he was moving, the moves he was doing 
would have gotten the crowd going uh, much more than Jarrett running away from Razor for... But the spot after the tag team match needed to be later in the show. Of course, yes. Well, did it, though? I mean, our... I think it needed to. I think you could have done that. You could have even done it after the the heavyweight title match because the reason that some of those guys ran out in that title match are still to this day unexplained. Like why? Well, I just I what I would have done is IRS and Taker right out of the gate. That would have been a good choice as well because the Undertaker's always going to be they're over gonna, no matter gonna, whatever. They're going to pop immediately. Yeah. So. Uh, yeah, I just thought the the card placement of this match was was really bad. Stephanie Wyatt, who I don't remember at all, it must have been very tough for a female reporter in 1995's WWF. I can only imagine what she must have gone through in the locker room. But she's in the back. She wants to interview Jarrett, but he's not there yet. So she tosses to Todd Pettengill, who somehow broke into Pamela Anderson's dressing room. And there's flowers everywhere and lots of WWF merch, including Pam's favorite gift, a Lex Luger t-shirt, which I don't think she would ever actually wear. Uh, But that's what Todd is into. Todd tries to bribe Pamela with... Did you get my roses, Pam? I sent you sent you some nice roses, and Pam holds up some broken flowers, and apparently he sent her some shitty uh, dollar store roses here. And uh, so Todd not making any progress with Pamela. All right, Steph, thank you very much. Pamela Anderson, look at all this stuff in here. I know, I can't believe it. I'm being spoiled. All these wrestlers are so generous. This is incredible. Look at this. From the head shrinkers, of course. We've got sardines from the bushwhackers. Bulldog. British bulldog. Oh, Henry Godwin. <laughs> The hog. This is great. Oh, what do you I got, got in the box? I got this from Lex. This is really nice. Is I wear this to bed. Lex. Really? Yeah. Oh, wait a minute. Look at this. Picture from Shawn Michaels of himself. How typical. Uh, how about my gift? Did you get that, Pam? Um, yeah, I did. I did. It's around here somewhere. The big uh, horseshoe roses. Yeah, Can I see it? Nice thought. It was nice. Can I see it? Um, okay. Here it yeah. Is. It's, whoops. Um, oh, the price tag's still on it. No, that's not what I sent. I sent a big... Uh, Oh, well, this is oh, well, the thought that counts. It's really, really beautiful. Would you like a piece of candy? Um, I try not to touch the stuff. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. I'm dropping. Right, let's, okay. let's go back to Stephanie. We'll see what happens later with those two. Stephanie is now with Jarrett. Ain't I great? Uh, I, I don't have no time to talk. I gotta go see Pamela. The new oh, intercontinental the new champion, Razor Ramon. Right. I mean, Double J, 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 J Jeff Jarrett, he's right here. Hey, what do you baby. have to say about this, oh, Double J? The greatest stop of all on the Ain't I Great Tour 95, baby. This is the biggest. Oh, celebrate. You talk about celebrate. I ain't got time for interviews. I'm celebrating. You know who I'm starting with. Let's she fly. wants to see me right now. Pamela Sue, baby. I'm on my way. Let's Celebration fly. time. Let's go, Celebration. Sue, Ain't I Great, baby. baby. Yes. 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 Thanks. <laughs> you know, thanks for that great interview. Ted DiBiase's theme plays, but it's IRS, his former Money, Inc. tag team partner, as Ted it was transitioning to more of just a managerial role with his million-dollar corporation. That's right. And uh, IRS is out, the father of Bray Wyatt. As, uh, Mike... Bo-, Bo Dallas, by the way, too. Bo Dallas, yeah, Bray Wyatt, and, of course, this is Mike Rotunda, IRS. The son of... Blackjack Mel- isn't Barry Windham is his cousin, right? Correct. Right. So yeah, IRS, the son of Blackjack Mulligan here, a workhorse. IRS should almost be in the Hall of Fame just for how much they relied on this guy. Oh, I agree. To always just, hey, we need twenty minutes and you're gonna lose. Who do we have here that can do that? 
and poor IRS, like, every time. Yeah, it's like He threw his hand up, and he's like, I'll do it. Every he, single time. He, I don't think I can recall IRS ever winning a match outside of the tag match. He is right out there with the Brooklyn Brawler, man. Yeah. Because <laughs> he... He will give you the absolute most entertaining match of your your entire life. And he will always lose. And for will you. always fucking let someone go over. Yes, yeah, so Patrick, they say the only things certain in life are death and taxes, and that's what we have here right. is the tax man taking on the dead man. Uh, IRS apparently, apparently Undertaker didn't pay his taxes. Right. IRS says you can't rest in peace until you pay your taxes. Everybody yeah. and also Amazing that he got so many years out of just saying the same thing. Yeah. Everyone is a tax cheat. He yeah. had nothing else to say yeah. to anybody other than, you're all a bunch of tax cheats, pay your taxes. And something so simple as pe- getting people to chant Erwin. Yes. And they, they like, it became a, cr- a crowd following of, of every single At show. least he was acknowledged. Yeah, he was a good enough jobber to where he was acknowledged. Where The fans would chant, chant Erwin... He would get pissed off. And he off. would sell. He was he was upset about hearing his own name. Yeah. Most people, when they hear their own name chanted, they, they get excited. That would fire them up. But his own name bothered him, which is a very strange gimmick to have, that I don't like my own name. Yeah. Well, then just change it. And he would in WCW. Um, Wall Street. Yeah, VK or Mr. Wall Street, depending on whichever. Purple hat and gloved Undertaker is out with... Paul Bear and that giant urn, the giant urn era of massive, Paul Bear. This massive. thing, yeah this this thing is the size of this lamp over it's, here. Yeah, it, dude, it's yeah. It you could take my head and your head, put them side by side, and it still would not fit in that. I mean, it would just jingle around in it. It was that massive. In '94, they had the Taker versus Taker match, and it had the light in it, and it shot all around the room. So. That massive light. But I think then they took the light out of it. Yeah. <laughs> or they just didn't use it. Like, why wouldn't you just keep using it if it was... That's in? what I was, yeah. So Taker is not going to sell anything in this match. He no-sells a drop kick. IRS just runs away from him for a while. Mean Mark hits him with a big boot. Taker grabs IRS by the tie and flings him across the ring. Daniel Bryan got fired over a similar incident when he invaded with the Nexus as he choked Justin Roberts with his tie. In the PG era, you cannot mess around with neckties, so Taker very risque here in 1995. Taker hits the old school to IRS. DiBiase distracts Taker, but IRS nails Ted by mistake. Uh Uh-oh, we've got some dissension in the Million Dollar Corp, and Taker tosses IRS over the ropes. Money Inc. then argue with one another. DiBiase then calls for the Druids. He's got his own Druid squad. Which right. Taker would then steal the gimmick of, I guess. It was who controls the Druids would be a big uh, big thing. Who, who were the Druids, by the way? I didn't look it up. I They were definitely wrestlers because when they got flung around, you saw they had their jocks on. So Well, one of them was the Brew Brother. The brother. Oh. The tall one was... You could tell by the boots he was wearing. Oh, that's interesting. Well, I think the, if you listen to Vince, he theorized that one of them was Tatanka, but I don't think it that wasn't was, Tatanka. No, no, these were geeks. One I, of them was the was the Blue Brothers, uh, Eli or Jacob Blue, whichever one. But I'm not sure the other one. I mean, I can look them up. You are intrigued now. <laughs> Jimmy Del Rey of the Heavenly Bodies was one of them. Uh, a Harris brother was one of the other ones. 
Those are the only two names that. So, I, like I, I, I said, the the Eli Blue, because that was the Harris brothers. Right. So okay, I was right on one. Jimmy Del Rey. Yeah, getting some. Now, do you get two paydays since you came out as a druid, or? I would think so. <laughs> Maybe in all elite wrestling. Gigolo Jimmy Taker doesn't get too distracted by these druids. In fact, he no-sells the druids even appearing. Like, he doesn't give a fuck about them. He goes for old school again, but the druids figured out how to stop him. They shake the ropes, and this causes Taker to fall. But he just does his first of a thousand sit-up spots here in the ring and goes back to work. Erwin clotheslines Taker out of the ring, and he attacks the druids, and IRS is finally able to knock Taker to one knee with a double axe handle on the outside of the ring. Erwin whips Taker into the steps. The druids beat him up while IRS distracts the ref. Erwin puts Taker in an abdominal stretch for a while, but Taker recovers, eats a few elbow drops. After the taxman and dead man collided in the middle of the ring, a druid rolled IRS on Taker. But of course, this is Undertaker. He kicks out at two. Taker slings IRS into the druid, kicks the druids down, chokeslam to IRS, and Taker... Wins the match. No tombstone for this Tampa crowd. Nope. Even though he, he teased it, but he had to kick those druids down and said, you know what? You're just IRS. I can beat you with a chokeslam. I think he was too damn big to tombstone, really. I think he I, just I, had mercy on IRS, as IRS would always work up massive sweats wrestling in this fucking business outfit that he had true. with his that's true. suspenders Dress and slacks and fucking dude he was sweaty and... he was as sweat he was like as wet as when like roman reigns comes out for a match like just drenched, <laughs> just drenched in water and yeah poor <laughs> mike rotunda here taker had some mercy on him it's like just end it go back yeah go then the druids come in to attack taker after his victory so he doesn't get to pose Choke slam to one druid, clothesline to another, and then Monster of the Month shows up. King Kong Bundy, part of the Million Dollar Corporation, shows up, squares off against Taker, which Taker is taller than him, so even though King Kong Bundy is a massive man, I oh thought God, zooming huge. in on their face is not a very good visual because it's like Taker is a foot taller than this guy. IRS, though, meanwhile... Steals the urn, which, if Repo Man was still with the company, would have been Repo Man's spot here. But IRS takes the urn. Well, he owes back taxes, so he's got to pay him somehow. Sorry. IRS steals the urn while Bundy beats down Taker, because all his powers come from the urn. So Taker is weakened, and in order for Taker to even stand up after the beating, the crowd has to... His creatures of the night have to cheer him to even get him to wake up. And then he stumbles to the back with Paul Bearer's help as he is lost without his precious urn. A little side note here. There was a mention of The Undertaker at a monster truck rally the night before. With Gravedigger. With the Gravedigger monster truck. A perfect combination that I can't believe I didn't realize ever happened. There's a picture online. Oh, there is? Of of him with with the monster truck. And he's in the purple outfit, or the black purple. Well, WCW must have been listening to this, because they would love monster trucks. This was also the start, though, of the WWF racing team. Oh, wow. This is when they started having... Sonny had her own monster truck, The Undertaker had his own monster truck, and uh, it went on to then slowly become more along the lines of the Attitude sports teams with the dragsters and the... 
Oh, right. I remember those. Yeah, I I definitely remember like a funny car that was painted up with like Austin on it. But The Rock had his own monster truck and Austin's monster truck and just all these. You can actually look it up. Believe it or not, Jerry King Lawler had his own monster truck. Really? Did it have a crown on it? It did. It is. I think I sent you a picture online of it on Facebook. I think the ugliest monster truck based on a wrestler had to have been Hulk Hogan's with the arms coming out of the, the arms that the, yeah the 24 inch pythons of course but it looked like something else like i like some savages. other part of the i body. still like savages though with the cowboy hat and the big glasses oh yeah and all that. yeah they had some good ones yeah and then they had some really bad ones but wcw then jumped on stole the, the whole idea well they jumped on the nascar scene and, and the monster did. truck scene where wwf jumped on the monster truck scene and the uh the drag racing scene anyway long story short though this is pretty much where it started right here was when vince and taker and paul bear went to this monster truck rally they're like huh there's a lot of crowds there's a lot of people let's go try this and then just not more than a couple months later did the undertaker monster truck debut so todd had an interview pre-tape because he's still backstage with pamela of course so he has an interview with diesel where Diesel gives a great interview where he just refuses to answer any question while he rubs his wrist tape. And I was, what was the point of this? So, then we go to talk to his challenger, Bret Hart, who is also wrapping his wrists in wrist tape, and he doesn't want to talk about it either. Bret kind of comes off as a dick here. All right, stand with Big Daddy Cool Diesel in his dressing room here. Earlier on, Diesel, you were talking to us on the Action Zone, reading the comics, the funny pages. How you feeling now? Match coming up. Well, you know, it's a very important match. You know, that was then, this is now time. It's not the time, all right? Okay, but if I could just ask you one question. You know, when the hitman and you... Todd, please. Not now. Okay. Folks, I'm sitting with the hitman, Bret Hart, getting ready for the match. Bret, you know, I just talked to Diesel. He really didn't want to talk about it. He was a whole lot different than he was earlier on today on the Action yeah. Zone. Not, not quite as loose as he was, but let me ask you. This has got to be weighing heavy on your mind. Your chance. I mean, this is your moment in the spotlight to recapture the WWF championship. I mean, let's talk about it. What's there to talk about? You know, I lost the title, Survivor Series, and all I've thought about ever since, from that day on till right now, to this, as the clock ticks closer to the matches, all I've thought about is winning back that title. I'm going to win back that title. I don't care what anybody thinks. I don't care if anybody care. I know people like Diesel. Hey, I, I like Diesel. But this is business, this is war, and uh, I want the title back. Speaking about Diesel, the jackknife, we talked about it a little bit on the Action Zone. If he gets you in that jackknife and the legs, and I mean, how can you possibly if, get up? If, if, everything's if. You know, I, I'll cross that road when I get to it, okay? Good night. I got, I got to think, okay? All right, fine. Folks, obviously both competitors feeling a little differently as this match draws nearer. There you have it. It was a face-versus-face matchup, so you had to have shades of gray between the two guys, I guess. Bye. Go. Get out. Yeah. Get the fuck out of here. <laughs> I don't think he said that, but that's what I heard. Fink is in the ring to announce our title match for the night. He brings down Bret Hart to a mega pop, and he got pyro here, too. He yes. gives out glasses to a fan and something else to another fan. I couldn't make out what he gave to the other fan. It was a little Bret Hart necklace. Oh. Well, I'd feel... I'd feel a little jilted if I got the necklace and not the glasses. Yeah. So D- I, I'm a little shocked, though. Th- the third match in is the is the title match, though. 
Yes, for some reason they just well they wanted a piss break match between this and the the rumble, so they put the tag match there. But that's not really when you see the ending. It's not really a piss break match because yeah. it was as important as like the title match. So I yeah I'm with you. I don't understand. It was intriguing to me while I was third match in. Once again, I looked at the timeline oh, and man. Uh, fear swept over my body. This is I, the longest match. Oh, that, th- Kevin Nash, this has to be a record for yeah. his longest match ever, and I was yeah. terrified. Yeah, yeah. Because it went, what, 40-something minutes. And when you thought it was over, it, it wasn't. wasn't it's, over. Not, it's never over. Yeah. Diesel. Years before... Well, a year before Steve Austin got it, gets the glass shattering entrance, as on the Titantron, a semi-truck was coming towards us and as soon as it hit it it smashed which wasn't actually a really cool effect doesn't make a lot of sense for diesel to have glass shattering but okay i get the truck did part. you see the little person down there with the hammer that no smashed the bottom of it but yeah there was a little a little lady side crew person or whatever and she's down there she's wearing a hat to make sure no glass falls in her face but as he steps out and they do a wide shot you see her crawling back over it's it's actually very interesting. She's got the hammer in her hand and Diesel needed a little help with his glass. Yeah, yeah. He should have just kicked through it. That'd been pretty cool too. Diesel to show off that he's got cred with NFL guys goes over and hugs it up with all these NFL guys in the crowd, including Lawrence Taylor. What that's odd that he's a Lawrence man. Taylor. He was Lawrence Taylor was his personal guest. For this, oh. for this, this episode, for this, this pay per view, Kevin Nash, who played basketball, not football, is somehow friends with all the football players. In fact, in one promo in WCW, he accused football players of all being gay. Lawler picks Hart to win despite being in a feud with him for the last two years. I was like, "What are you doing, Jerry? Why would you say such a stupid thing?" Oh, Brett had his working boots on tonight, buddy, because he was in there with Nash. So he goes for <laughs> Nash's legs. Of course, take the big man off his feet, but they throw forearms at each other, which would have not been a good strategy for Brett. Diesel slows Brett down with a slam and then clotheslines Brett out of the ring. Brett can't get back into the ring because Diesel just knocks him down when he tries. Brett goes back to work on the leg, takes Diesel's leg and throws it into the post, then knee drops Diesel's legs, hits stump pullers, keeps the big man down. Diesel got to lay on the mat here for several minutes. Hart puts Diesel in the figure four, and I said, did the booker not see the first match tonight? This is exactly the same strategy that we saw earlier with Jarrett and Razor. Take the legs out. Brett just keeps destroying Diesel's legs, goes into another figure four. This time, Diesel's so tall, he just makes it to the ropes. Diesel rolls out to the mat, and Brett hits a suicide dive through the ropes, which is a very unusual move to see Brett Hart ever do. And he but does he, it awkwardly. He do, and he's done it multiple times as well. It's not Only a, in big matches will he yeah. break this out, but yeah. every time he does it, it's just so awkward. It's weird, yeah. Yeah, so he dives through the ropes to Diesel and takes him back down. Diesel gets Brett back in the ring and takes control because he starts going through his five moves of doom with the corner elbows, the sidewalk slam. Then he just stretches Brett's back over his knee. Diesel tries a jackknife, but then just stops halfway and just does a torture rack instead. Yeah, he's got him in a backbreaker, and it's... uh... 
Everybody was thinking it was the jackknife, and I was even like, why is he going for the jackknife? But I noticed when he when he got him up there and he was going for the backbreaker, which is a smart move, but why, if you have him up there that way, why not right. just drop him? One, two, three. Yeah, you've got him in basically the position for your finisher, and you're like, nah, I want to do something else. Yeah, exactly. Well, it was just like when Brett was slapping on figure fours, it's like... You've got his legs fucking hooked the sharpshooter. Sharp yeah. <laughs> But I understand the. I understood that more because that's weakening. Like he's not ready for the sharpshooter, so I've got to just weaken his legs, I guess. Oh. But yeah, when Diesel didn't power bomb him here, I was like, "What's up with that? <laughs> What's he's weakening his back? You got to get him ready to get him ready for the yeah." Brett just escapes from this uh, back uh, torture rack backbreaker yeah. thing. Brett takes Diesel back down with a second rope clothesline. Brett climbs to the top but gets caught in a press slam. But Diesel's leg, just like Razor's, gave out. And Brett gets a near fall. Brett then turns into a heel, drags Diesel to the corner, takes his wrist tape, and uses it to tie Diesel's leg around the post. And he just stomps the shit out of Diesel while Earl (laughs) goes to cut his legs free. Earl... Just, this is fine. You can just tie these guys up. Uh, but I kind of shit on Earl here because he immediately cuts Diesel free. Like, I would have liked to just see Brett just stomp the shit out of him yeah, for a while. Yeah, give it like a good 20 seconds. He let him so. get like three stomps in and was like, oh, dude, you're, you're free now. This should have been the first DQ of the match, but that's fine. Well, okay, whoa, whoa, whoa. Why would you DQ him? Because he tied him up. So? It's no different than Andre getting tied up in the ropes. Very good point. Okay, I agree. I I will take your side this time, Mr. Referee. That it, it's a part of your uniform. Exactly. So, it's just like IRS's tie. Exactly. If you wear it, you can use it as a weapon. Exactly. So, why not fight in a suit of armor? I don't I don't know. Brett tries a bulldog that Diesel just cannot figure out how to sell. <laughs> this gets a near fall from Brett. Brett hits his backbreaker to Diesel, which was quite impressive. He hits a second rope elbow to Diesel that gets a near fall. Hart clotheslines Diesel outside the ring. He dives over again, but this time Diesel catches him and rams him back first into the post. He gets in the ring, jackknifes Brett Hart, so this match is over. That's it. One. He crawls over to cover. Two. And out of nowhere, Shawn Michaels runs in and breaks up the pin. Ding, 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 DQ. Yes, Stomps Diesel, which it's odd to see in knowing what happened in the long term of Brett and Sean. It's weird to see Sean interfering on Brett's behalf, basically, here. It's just very... It's odd for, for, yes. Historical purposes, it's very weird to see Sean beat up his friend over his worst enemy, basically. Yeah. So he just runs in, breaks up the count, stomps Diesel, stomps at Diesel's bad leg, and Earl just says, hey, get out of here. You can't Go be doing on. that. <laughs> you can't be doing this. Yeah, calm this down. This is a match. Go to the back. <laughs> Instead of saying, fuck you, ring the damn bell. No, you can't do this. Get out, please. So he calmly asks Sean to leave, and Sean obliges. I really like, think he said please. That's what makes it even funnier. Earl... Then goes to Fink, who was about to say, well, the match is a DQ, and Earl says, no, 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 the match must continue. The ref has decided 
that this match must continue. Again, <laughs> did the booker not see the first match? Where is Jack Tunney? All decisions must stand, right? I think at this point in time, Jack Tunney had passed away. No, he was still alive. Was he part of the company? When they did, showed him in highlights. Did they now? From last year's. Oh, yeah, but... He died in 2004. Uh, did he now? He was figurehead president until July of 95, so he was still technically the president. July of 95, but he died in 94? No, he died in 2004. Oh. Okay, so he died in 2004, but he was figurehead till July of 95. He hadn't really been used on screen since what 94. What the fuck did he actually do? Now that I'm, I'm intrigued. What did he actually do for the company? or Was he what? just an on-screen like, piece? Or was he actually a credible behind-the-scenes person? I guess is what I'm trying to get at. Tunney held no backstage power beyond that of a regional promoter. As such, his main roles were that of a storyline authority figure to make matches and arbitrate decisions. So they just called him in whenever they fucking needed him. And other than that, he said on his thumbs. Well... Yeah, they gave him the job because he ran the Canadian Territory, which he sold to Vince. And I guess as part of the sale, Vince hired him, basically. He sold... I thought that was Stu, though. He sold the... He had the Toronto Territory. He had Maple Leaf Wrestling. Gotcha, okay. So, that was how he was brought in. Okay. But, yeah... So anyway, Jack Tunney, all decisions are final. You're full of fucking shit. You are a terrible president. <laughs> Rest in peace. Um, so You're kicking a dead man, dude. You need to yeah, I know. <laughs> Hart is fine with the match restarting. No big deal. He's going to take a win. What a heel. He's going to take a win with help. So he goes back to work on Diesel's legs, put him in a figure four again. He just gives it up, goes back to kicking at Diesel's legs, Diesel hits a gut wrench suplex, which is probably the only time Kevin Nash had ever attempted this move in his career. He does the big boot choke, of course, to Brett in the corner, but misses a running boot and injures his legs some more on the post. Brett, our babyface challenger, goes and grabs a steel chair and smacks Diesel's leg with it against the post. Clearly in view of Earl Hebner's sight of vision. He grabs a steel chair, smacks Diesel's leg against the post, which hilariously Vince says, I think he missed. (laughs) No, he did not miss. How do you miss the biggest man's leg in the history of the legs of WWF? He did not miss Diesel's leg, so Ding, ding, ding. That's DQ number two. Again, yes. DQ number two is not called for. This is fine. Just let him go. Hitman actually gets some booze from this, but then... He locks in the sharpshooter, and the crowd instantly turns and starts cheering for Brett. So... Brett could really do no wrong at this era. I well, 
everyone wanted Diesel out of there as champion. And so they they were like, boo, that was really bad what you did. But okay, you're going to win? Okay, that's fine. Go for it. Like <laughs> Kick his ass. So he puts him in the sharpshooter finally. And this time, the king of hearts, the rocket, Owen Hart, runs in and hits Brett. He unties the buckle pad and runs Brett chest first into it. Owen then is calmly asked to leave. He does. And ding, as ding, he ding. as he's walking away, says, Brett is a loser. <laughs> and then he leaves. DQ number three. So, yes, we have our third DQ. But, of course, the match has to continue. There must be a winner, right? <laughs> Diesel crawls over and only gets a two count. Strike battle before Brett gets hung upside down in the ropes on the outside. Sort of, it's a weird, like, skinning the cat without coming back, like... So you're just skinning the ropes, basically. Diesel grabs a chair. So again, babyface number one is about to smack babyface number two, but he thinks better of it and just drops the chair. So at least that's nice that he didn't hit him with the chair. Hart, seeing that Diesel is conflicted about the chair, plays possum with a bad leg in the middle of the ring to try to sneak a win on Diesel. So Diesel goes in. Checks on him. Yeah, and gets small packaged for a near fall. Earl then takes a ref bump, and then all hell breaks loose as Bob Backlund, Owen Hart, Jeff Jarrett, The Roadie, and Shawn Michaels, a collection of the non-geeks, which are still sort of geeks, come in and just beat the shit out of both Bret Hart and Diesel. And finally... Ding, ding, ding. The match is over at four... Four DQs. Four! We finally call it... A draw. This was too much. This was too much. They had finally crossed the line. As this match went 27 minutes and 19 seconds from bell to bell, but with entrances and all the post-match stuff, I'd say it took 35 minutes. Brett, this is uh, this is Kevin Nash's longest match ever. Oh, without a doubt. And Bret Hart did the best he could with this guy, but... As you would see at WrestleMania, spoiler, even Shawn Michaels couldn't get much out of Kevin Nash. There just wasn't much to be gotten. No. But Brett did everything he could. I did like that he teased the heel turn. Uh, They were really, as you would see in the Rumble, they were really short on top stars in general, but mainly top star heels. So I did like the tease of a heel turn from Brett. And the heel turn from Diesel as well. I think they should have probably turned Diesel, actually, uh, heading into WrestleMania 11. They didn't, though, and we all saw the result of what happened at WrestleMania 11. So, the match is ruled a draw and is met by booze. Way to send the guys home happy, right? (laughs) Way to please your crowd, as they had already suffered through enough bullshit. And finally, the conclusion is just more bullshit. Four fucking times it took four times for them to finally say hey this match is done four fucking times dude have you ever restarted a match four times hell no and if it oh my god if i was running the show as soon as hetmer came to the back his ass was fired (laughs) i'm not even storyline or not somebody's getting their ass fired. Well, could you not even just have Earl take ref bumps so these run-ins weren't just let go? Exactly. You can't ride around that? You can't figure out a way to do this? Exactly. 
It's not difficult. Bring in another ref in the middle of it. That that very that's what they would do a lot of. Yeah, that's he a great idea. He takes a bump. He gets back up. He takes another bump. Fuck it. He's dead at this point in time. Bring in another. Tim one. White. Tim White takes another bump. Yes. And something to explain it other than oh we just we're gonna let him go. Exactly. Or. You know what they could have done, Patrick? This will blow your mind. Just call for the fucking bell. Or originally say, this has been changed to a no DQ contest. Yeah. Done. Instantly done. Yeah. And because they did this in the opening match of the night, it made even... it. Oh, it's just so frustrating. The the first match and this match are so structured almost identical. Almost identical. Work the leg, restart the match. Like, hello? Even the figure four, like... Did Jarrett not walk by Bret Hart's dressing room and say, Hey, um, that's kind of my thing as the figure four. Could you figure out something else for tonight? No. No, it just couldn't be done. No one, no one, communication was lost. Here. A half Boston Crab would have done the exact same fucking thing. Yeah, trick. anything. Anything. I would have loved to have seen the uh, figure four over the post that he used to do with Sean. Like, oh, yeah. Legs probably too long for Diesel, but... Um, I still love that. That's a, I do, and no one does it anymore. No one does it. I do love that. That's true. Uh, so, Diesel, our hero, is getting his ass kicked, and Bob Backlund puts Brett in the crossface chicken wing, a throwback to when Brett lost the belt when Owen cost him the title by throwing in the towel. So, Backlund has Brett in the crossface chicken wing, and our hero, our savior, Kevin Nash, clears the ring all by himself... And then saves his opponent, Brett, who had earlier tonight smashed a chair into his leg. Diesel's going to be the better man and throws Backlund out. And then after the match, to get Diesel over, to, to give him some credibility with our fans, we have Bret Hart and Diesel do the respect spot. Complete with hug. Yes. A man t- that tied your legs up together, that smacked you with a chair, Yes. that... Both of you guys got ran in on, so you think, oh, maybe they the fix was in, that we both had plans. You you didn't want to talk about the match earlier in the day. You hated each other. Yeah. Now we're fine. We're good. We're great. We're buddies. We're big At this house. point in time, if I was Diesel, I would spin that son of a bitch around and take his head fucking off. Yeah, big boot him with your good leg. Exactly. And that sets it up perfectly for WrestleMania, for the outcome which would have been preferred yeah that's all it would have taken yeah. would have gotten them over big time as a yeah. big men are are tough to sell as baby faces most right. of the time unless you are dusty Rhodes or vader who was like could have been a great baby face like it's it's tough to sell a guy like kevin nash who you just look at him he just looks slimy he doesn't look relatable to the yeah. common man yeah and taker was over as a baby face because his character was so cool but yeah. like most of the time big men like great collie giant gonzalez they're gonna be tough to sell me as a relatable yeah. baby face so why not just give in turn him heel because you have a super hot baby face in the making if you turn sean face but they just they, vince was just gung-ho just would not be denied his precious precious diesel todd is back in pamela's dressing room still and i'm surprised pam hadn't called for the police at this point (laughs) and pam is changing into the dress that she'll wear out she's behind a screen and todd is just hanging around creeping on her and uh pam needs 
like a, a hand with something, and so he hands her some clothing, and he's like, I can come back there and help. And she's like, no, no, I got it, I got it. And yeah. so it's just Todd being a perv, which, by the way, she peeked out a little too far from this uh, covering, and she was already dressed. Yes. So, uh not very good camera work here. Uh, so there you go. Todd Pettengill is a pervert. Stephanie is with Bob Sparky Plug and the 123 Kid. They replaced the smoking guns in this tag team match. Now, later on tonight, I would really question why this replacement occurred. It, it was a tag team tournament. That That's right. At which point in time, the smoking guns were injured. One of Bart them. Gun got gored by a bull was what we were told. Which is bullshit. It is bullshit, but it makes... So they were too hurt to be in this match, Patrick. In the tag team tournament. Right, but later on tonight, I think they were bluffing about their injury. Because they are in the Rumble. That's right. And well, that's what they even stipulate that they're healed up at this point in time. But as oh, as it's too the, late. As for the start, though, it was too late for the tournament. No, the contract anyway. was signed. So the Million Dollar Corporation are the champions. It's Evil Tatanka with Bam Bam Bigelow. Could you sell Bam Bam as a baby face? Ooh, that's a tough one too. Even in WCW when he's doing the hardcore shit, I just I couldn't I couldn't believe him as being a baby. I think in ECW you could sell him as a Well, he's still doing bad things, but No, he's beating the shit out of Taz. Taz was the baby. No, but I was thinking more of when he threw like Spike into the crowd. Was that him? That was yeah. him, right? Like, yeah, when he fucking almost killed Spike. <laughs> yeah, a couple of times. A couple of times. That gets you over. Dude, man, Spike was busted during that match. Oh, Bad. yeah. We reviewed that. Oh, God, yeah. dude. He was gushing blood. That was the only time that I think he was over as a, in quotation marks, good guy. But no, he, I even think he was healed in, though. Oh, yeah, he was. Yeah, yeah. yeah, you got a little man like Spike, but the crowd loved it. It's, yeah. it's how the crowd reacts, which determines yeah. who's the heel and face, I guess. But To actually pull him off as the guy to go out there and shakes hands and kisses babies. <laughs> not no. a fucking chance in hell. I a guy with a off. tattooed head like that. Yeah. <laughs> when, as soon as he got that head tattoo, whenever he did it, he cemented that I will always be a bad guy. Yeah. He's never going to be the good guy. Well, it also cements that he is one tough son of a bitch to actually get your entire oh. head tattooed. Yes. that, that Well, that is true. Uh, he's super talented in the ring, though. Like, he had all the attributes oh, to be a great baby face. For a but big guy, he was. He, and he even, even at WrestleMania four when he was a part of the uh, the tournament for the title, they cheered him. Yeah, he did but some he cartwheels. Did, he, did hear, he did, like, hillish <laughs> shit during the match, too. Well, he was sort of in his hometown for that, because that was in... Um, New Jersey. Yeah, in New Jersey. So that was sort of his hometown crowd. Yeah. The king uses the magistrator to draw himself, giving Pamela Anderson a picture of Pam entering the arena tonight, a kiss. Which, if this was actually Jerry Lawler drawing himself, he's a terrible artist. Even though he is a painter, he paints in his spare time. So. He draws. He's a drawer it's, and a painter. It's weird that he did such a he bad did, job uh, drawing himself. On Bret Hart's, which is, this is one of my favorite things he's ever done. Bret Hart's massive fucking book, Autobiography. Uh, he did the artwork inside for it, though, and it is some of the greatest stuff you'll ever look at, cartoon wrestling-wise. It's outstanding. 
So Tatanka starts with Holly, and Tatanka lands a nice sidewalk slam. Holly hits a tilt-a-whirl head scissors with some drop kicks. Bam Bam and the kid tag in, but Bam Bam just runs over Sparky Plug and the kid with a double clothesline. <laughs> Bam Bam tosses the kid around, tries a pop-up power bomb, but gets hurricanrunned by the one-two-three kid. Bam Bam takes the kid down with an insiguri for a near fall. The heels get the heat on the kid for ages. This man was just getting thrown around like a rag doll. <laughs> Kid then finally drop kicks Tatanka into Bam Bam. Sparky Plug tags in, and both the faces try flying crossbodies but get caught, but weasel out of the grips of the heels and shove them into each other. Bam Bam low bridges Holly and beats him down behind the ref's back. Tatanka's all over Holly when he gets back in the ring with strikes and a power slam. Uh, the heels miscommunicate, and Tatanka hits the top turnbuckle chop to Bam Bam, so some miscommunication. Bam Bam Stinger splashes Holly while Kid was mixed up with Tatanka. The heels double-team Sparky Plug in their corner. Then Plug and Tatanka take each other out, but both make hot tags to their partners. A spin kick from Kid takes Bam Bam down. Kid Missile drop kicks Bam Bam, which looked awesome. Then drop kicks Tatanka, hits a corkscrew plancha to Tatanka on the outside. Hits a top turnbuckle cross to Bam Bam for a near fall, but Tatanka makes a save. Bam Bam press slams the kid to the outside. Tatanka puts the boots to him, rolls him in the ring. And Bam Bam, who is going for his moonsault, clearly in view of Tatanka, Tatanka decides, I want to do my finisher too, which involves him running the ropes to do his chopping thing that he did. And so when he hits the ropes, this causes Bam Bam to tumble to the mat and knock himself out. And the kid crawls over and gets the one, two, three on Bam Bam, who took himself out, basically. And wow, the one, two, three kid and Sparky Plug are your new tag team champions as they got their ass kicked for the entirety of this match, but yet somehow, somehow got the one, two, three. It's like it's his gimmick it's crazy. or something. Yeah, yeah. How did Bam Bam's mouth get busted? Uh, that's a good question. Because I can't. I've watched. I went back and watched it and watched it again, and I never could find out. Uh, Vince or Jerry mentioned how he got it busted, but I mean, it was a he bled pretty pretty. I think it was probably a, a stiff kick from the kid. I would say because the, the kid was uh, not pulling his kicks. He was laying <laughs> that shit. Digging, in. Yeah, I mean it's bam. I mean like Bam Bam probably told him, you know, you're. 10 pounds. You can do whatever you want. I don't care. Yeah. Uh, so this match placement made no sense, but that's because it wasn't about the match, Patrick. No, the match a... was secondary to this. This is what really happens, okay? So Bam Bam... He's pissed. He's very upset, and who better to take it out on than the NFL players at ringside? He's walking around. The fans are all, you know, chanting one, two, three, and giving him a hard time that he got beat by the kid. You know, this little mosquito beat this giant rhino, like, not the rhino, but rhino, you know, elephant, whatever you want to call him. Yeah. This giant mammoth of a man. And he's going around the, the ring, he's pissed off, and he's telling them, you know, it's not funny, it's not funny, it's not funny. He gets over there to LT. LT is laughing just like everybody else. He's having a good little time, but he's not pointing at him specifically or nothing like that. Well... Bam Bam took offense to it. Bam Bam's like, you think it's funny? Why don't you get in there? Why don't you get in there? LT's like, listen, dude, I don't want none. I'm just, here, you want to shake my hand? Here, shake my hand. I'll see you in there. Hey, wait a minute. Let's stay with us if you don't mind. Yeah. LT, wipe that smile off your face quick. Lawrence Taylor here is an invited guest of uh, Big Daddy Cool. He's a handshake. No, 
Bam Bam shoves the shit out of him. And all hell breaks loose with security grabbing LT. And Bam Bam, pissed off, stomps to the back. We see the 94 Rumble recap where Sean turned on Diesel, where the the friendship exploded, where he super kicked his own friend and ended up getting him eliminated. Sean then has a pre-tape from earlier in the day. He gives a cocky Shawn Michaels 90s promo, complete with his cabbie hat, earrings, and zebra vest on. There I am, taking out the seven-foot diesel, and the cameraman can't even seem to get it. You know, thank goodness the old heartbreak kid has given Big Daddy Cool and you fans a chance to see that kick, oh, up close as of late. You know, the question is, how is Shawn Michaels going to handle all these huge men in the World Wrestling Federation? Simple. You saw me. All by myself, single-handedly eliminate the seven-foot diesel. All you big men, you're all going to go out at the hands of the heartbreak kid. And just like I told you earlier this afternoon, tonight is going to be such an easy night. Why? Because this is the year of the heartbreak kid. The last thing you folks are going to see is old HB himself share arm-in-arm with Pam Anderson, the winner of the Royal Rumble. Then they replay the finish from last year when Luger and Hart tumbled over together. And then we get a Luger pre-tape. He's tired of being a contender, and it's time to be champion, and 95 is the year of Lex Luger. The year 1994 is over and done with. History, yesterday's news. What I want to talk about is the here and now. 1995, and what it starts out with is the Royal Rumble. What separates the men from the boys, the pretenders from the contenders. You know what? I'm a little sick and tired of being a contender here in the Royal Wrestling Federation. It's time to me to fulfill my destiny here and become a champion. And it starts right here and now. 1995, I will not be denied. It is the year of the man made in the USA, Lex Luger. Wouldn't turn out that way. (laughs) It would be a big year for Lex Luger when he showed up at the Mall of America later on that year, but it would not be the year of Lex Luger. He, uh... But we shoot back to Vince. Oh, yes. This is when we get the serious and Owen Vince voice. Is, Vince is all serious. And Vince goes, or what is it? we here at the WWF would like to personally apologize to LT and his family and friends for what just took place. Ladies and gentlemen, we apologize. We regret that unfortunate incident that we saw earlier. We apologize to Lawrence Taylor for that incident. And then he just spins around. He spins back around. <laughs> and that's it's like, it. okay, it had to be done, but we still keep staring at him. We and have to think about it. And we're staring at him. And we're staring at him. And all we're staring at is the back of his fucking head. Yeah, Lawler wasn't even in the shot. No. So, so we're staring at the back of, of Vince's head for a good 20 seconds after he's turned. So Pam Anderson comes out as she is the prize. In addition to headlining WrestleMania, you win Pamela Anderson. You get to walk to the ring at WrestleMania with Pamela Anderson. Yes, the real prize of this Rumble. HBK drew number one. He's out chewing his bubblegum, as he would often do. Davey Boy Smith is out second. We get a big back body drop to Michaels and a press slam from Davey Boy. 
Then Sean supercells a clothesline, then does a flare flip out of the ropes. Sean boots him to slow him down, but by that time, the timer has already ticked down. This thing has... I don't even... The match just started. Eli Blue. Eli Blue drew number three. At first, I thought it was Berserker. Because they they look very similar with their poofy hair and brown. I thought, like, Berserker, you're not supposed to be here. Then, before you know it, the timer ticks down again, and it's Duke Duke the Dumpster Drozzy. Yes, it's a who's who from the new gen era tonight, as these names would... uh, Not a lot of Hall of Famers coming out here tonight. Holla, holla. He eats a big boot from Eli. The garbage man hammers away at Sean and slams him. The timer ticks down again. Gigolo Jimmy Del Rey. Of the Heavenly Bodies. the Heavenly Bodies. Del Rey puts Sean in peril, and Bulldog tries to help him, but he hangs on. Out next, it's the the Wild Samoans. No, it's not. It's the new-gen Wild Samoans. It's the Barbarian. Barbarian, who I don't even know his new-gen name that they gave him, but I just call him Barbarian. I did, too. Jimmy Del Rey is eliminated by Davy Boy Smith, so he's out first. Dr. Tom Pritchard. Someone call Dr. Tom. He's out next. Barbarian teases throwing Sean out, but he escapes. Doink with Dink is out next, and he gets Doink. a huge fucking pop. Dude, this I crowd. love Doink. I lo- personally, I love Doink. And him with Dink is... I would love to have seen Dink be a part of the Rumble. I thought for a second he would be. But Both of them, like, two and one entrance thing, that'd been great. He gets one and a half spots. Yeah, exactly. Quang. Quang. Is out next. I know you love you some Quang. Yeah, Savio Vega in a mask. Which, it, was this really? This yeah, Savio, Savio Vega. Vega. Yeah, Quang. Quang. Which, Savio Vega looks fine without a mask. I don't know why Vince was like, got a mask on him. Quang. Quang. He, that's a... What a great name. Well, no, it's it's about the exact same as uh, as <laughs> Just Incredibles. Gimmick. Oh, yes. Oh, that's like, still to come. It is, man. It, this is <laughs> this is the who's who just under math. This is the new gen Hall of Fame. Is actually, I said there was no Hall of Famers. No, this is like the new gen Hall of Fame. Rick, the model Martell yes, comes out, and yes. he is looking deflated. You can yes. tell he was off the gas He here. was getting ready to make his, uh, his jump to WCW as well. Yeah, he had that brief comeback in WCW and uh, ended his career when he got his legs snapped on the ropes. Shawn continues to live dangerously on the post. Quang nearly throws out Shawn Michaels. Now, that would have been something. The Rocket, Owen Hart, Owen. Is, is out next to booze, but... Our superhero, Bret Hart, once again, shades of heel here, comes out and jumps his own brother in the aisle way. And he's beating the shit out of him. And then he just calmly walks away after kicking Owen's ass. And then he takes so long kicking his ass that Timothy Well from Well Done is making his entrance as Bret is leaving. Owen gets thrown out by Bulldog, but the camera missed it, so job well done, Bret. Duke the Dumpster gets thrown out by Sean. Yes. Bulldog throws Tim Well out. Then Barbarian throws Rick the Model Martell out. Sean throws out Pritchard. Quang super kicks Doink out of the match. Boo. Then Barbarian and Eli Blue eliminate each other. So we have, we're back down to the original two, Davy Boy and Sean. As the timer ticks down, who will meet them? It will be Luke. Of the Bushwhackers. Of the Bushwhackers. Yes. He gets thrown out immediately. He by comes Sean. in, he walks across it, and he gets thrown right back A in. better showing than his previous Rumble showings. Yes. 
so now we're just back down to Sean and Davy Boy. Davy Boy hits oh. a delayed vertical suplex to Sean, and yes, Jacob Blue is out next. Odd that the tag teams usually they come out one after the other. That's just the way. It's, it's yeah. I know it's supposed to be random, but in the past it was always like, oh, it's Jeff Hardy. It's I wonder who's next. Oh, it's Matt Hardy. It's funny you say that because we're about to we're about to see that here. In a yes. Second. Well, Jacob Blue missed his uh, Harris brother earlier, so he's all alone. Sean immediately drops Jacob over the rope, so he's done. It's back to Sean and Davey. Then Davey tries to dump Sean over the corner, but Michaels clings on, and King Kong Bundy is out next to booze. Who's your winner so far? Have you got a winner for this match? Who's your pick? I think it's pretty obvious that there's only two contenders uh, so far. I'm going with my NWA legend here that he's the the seeker. He's the the underground, nobody knows he's coming, and he's just going to fly in there and win it all. Bundy gives Davey a wedgie as he tries to throw him over. Mo from Men on a Mission walks in and gets dropped immediately by yes. King Kong Bundy. One of the fastest eliminations ever. King thought it was faster than the Bushwhacker one, but I don't think it was. However, guess who's coming in after him? Oh, yes. Of one, course. The one man who can actually probably compare size, size for size with Bundy. King Mabel. Yes. The, the world's greatest lover... Big Daddy V is out next. They stare down each other. Uh, They do the Hogan-Andre stare down uh, with Bundy and Mabel. Mabel tries to take Bundy out, but he hangs on. Butcher the Bushwhackers is out next. And Bundy finally gets tired of holding on and just lets go very, very slowly. He was not going to take a bad bump to the outside. Hell no. He knew what was coming in his future. Yeah, so he is eliminated. Michaels tosses Butch immediately out. Mabel and Davey have Sean upside down over the ropes, another skinning the cat without skinning the cat. The time ticks down, and here comes my pick. Lex Luger, Captain America, is out next. Luger drops Mabel out of the ring. Luger then press slams Sean. Bulldog and Lex try to put Sean over the turnbuckle. Manitar is Mantar. out next. Manitar. What, what was his gimmick? I guess he's, like, supposed to be a centaur. Like, a half-man, half-horse. So he's half-man, half-bull? Or half-goat? Because he's got horns? I don't know. I don't know either. It's a terrible gimmick. Yes, Manitar. He goes after Bulldog while Lex and Sean fight. Then Aldo Montoya, PJ Polacco, with his diaper head, uh, is out next. It looks like a diaper, a yellow (laughs) diaper. With fake hair. Henry Godwin is out next. Amazing the run Henry Godwin would get in this rumble, by the Holy way. Holy shit. Pamela Anderson is just watching on in silence. As yeah. She could not be less interested. She was really excited to possibly walk down the aisle with Henry Godwin. <laughs> I can see it now. Billy Gunn is out next. The new AEW producer in 2019. And then... Amazingly, Bart Gun. What are the odds? Bart Gun and the Smoking Guns, who were too hurt to compete earlier tonight, they're fine now. They're in the match. Don't worry about the logic. Backlund, Bob Backlund, the heel Mister Backlund, is one out of, next to one booze. of my picks. This I got two. I got Bret two. Hart runs him down as well and beats him up. Yes. Then Stephen Dunn is out next. He brings Harvey Whippleman with him, but he didn't do anything. Luger eliminates Backlund to a big pop. Sorry, didn't last too long. Heart attacks him again on the way out. He was just not going to let Mr. Backlund go. No. Timer ticks down. I got one more. (laughs) 
And timer ticks down, and it is none other than NWA legend Dick Murdoch, who looks extremely out of place. <laughs> it looks like a time machine. Like he went through a time portal and somehow ended up in New Gen 1995 WWF. It's so bizarre. Former tag team partner of the American Dream, Dusty Rhodes. But it's, before he was the American Dream, and. <laughs> Like we say, it's hard to fill up 30 spots or whatever, but, you know, you could have had Razor in he here. Tagged, he tagged with Pat Patterson when Patterson was Holy wrestling. shit. You could have had Jarrett in here. Jarrett could have won yeah. the... I mean, you could, like... <laughs> just because you're in a match earlier in the night does not always mean you can't come back. Though. Oh, dude, I hope Dick Murdoch wins this thing. He would have a hell of a run here. <laughs> he gives everyone a punch to the face for their troubles. <laughs> then Adam Baum... The future Wrath. Yeah. Wrath in WCW is out next. Brian Adams, wasn't it? Or Chris Adams? Which one? He was, was Brian Clark. Brian Clark, sorry. Brian Clark is Adam Bond. What, what was the other one? Brian. He was Brian Adams. It was Brian Adams and, and Brian Clark. And then Brian Lee was Chains. Trains, and yeah. fake taker. Prime time, I get them all mixed prime up. Prime time Brian Lee. There's a lot of fucking Brian's, man. They, there really is. That might be the most common name in pro wrestling. Yeah. Okay, out next, the big quiche, part of the new head shrinkers. Fatu! Rikishi is out next at number 29. He goes after Billy Gunn for some reason. Luger dumps Manitar. Thank God. (laughs) Entrant 30 is Crush, who for some reason Vince just goes nuts for. He loves Crush. He does. Evil Crush for some reason. Yeah, face paint makes you evil. Uh, So Crush comes out, dumps the smoking guns, and then... Well done is eliminated by Aldo Montoya. So Aldo Montoya got an elimination in this Rumble. Just incredible. He's doing great here. So yeah, Vince, by the way, Vince, you should never say never in pro wrestling. And Vince says, never again will we have a finish like last year where two men's feet hit at the same time. Don't ever say shit like that, Vince. Because guess what? Batista and John Cena would prove you wrong. A few years later. Well, yeah, and then it, that exact same year, he would lose both of his feet. Yeah, it's, uh, <laughs> some irony. Murdoch tries some headbutts on Rikishi. Don't you know, Dick Murdoch, a veteran like yourself, Samoans don't sell headbutts. They yes. have hard heads. That's right. Adam Baum is tossed out by Crush. Rikishi super kicks Crush. But he stays in. HBK eliminates Aldo Montoya. Crush throws the big quiche out. Six men remain. Murdoch, Luger, HBK, Crush, Henry Godwin, and Davy Boy. I can see it now. Henry Godwin. The, the Hall of and Famers. Diesel. The Hall of Famers of the 90s. Of the new gen era. And Dick Murdoch. <laughs> is somehow in here with them. Godwin, though, dumps Murdoch. Oh, damn it. After he tried an airplane spin. And Henry Godwin gets an elimination and is in the final five. Man, Pamela Anderson and Henry Godwin. I can't wait to see it. <laughs> Davey takes on Crush as Sean and Godwin take on Luger. Luger low bridges Godwin out, so he's gone. So the final four, Luger, Crush, Sean, and Davey. Crush and Sean try to eliminate Luger while Davey is down, so he can't help him. While Luger is fighting Crush in the corner, he kind of gets up on the post, and Sean shoves Luger out, so 95 not starting out good for Lex Luger. Two heels and one face, so Davey is up against Crush and Michaels. Crush, of course, turns on Michaels and is going to press slam him out, 
but Sean saves himself with a thumb to the eye, and Davey eliminates Crush. So the crowd has come to their feet, though. They popped big, though, to number see number one, one and number two. Are in the final two. Yes, they've lasted the entire time. So here we go. Can the Heartbreak Kid do it from number one? A big knee lift from Davey to Sean. Big kicks to Michael in the corner where he sails five feet in the air. The worst <laughs> sell that he does. Davy crotches Sean on the ropes instead of throwing him over, which King calls him out for. Davy then clotheslines him over. Sean has the ropes grabbed onto, but Davy says, eh, that's all taken care of. Surely he hit the ground. He's swinging, he's swinging, he's swinging, he's swinging. One foot touches. We zoom in. Davy's posing. He's yes. all excited. His music The plays. music kicks on. Davey's going to WrestleMania out of nowhere. Shawn Michaels with two forearms dive, hit Davey off the second rope. He tumbles down to the floor. And your winner of the 1995 Royal Rumble is the heartbreak kid, Shawn Michaels. Davey looked really stupid here, but 
in his defense, his theme song did play. Like, who played his fucking theme song? If you're playing my music, then I'm assuming not one. You know? Yeah, like, I know that he turned away from Sean after he threw him over, which wasn't smart. You should never do that. But, like, yeah, they've played his music. Yeah, it's it. It's done. Yeah, I mean, that... <laughs> somebody gave the order backstage without hearing a bell. Yeah. I mean, that guy should get fired tonight because yeah. he really he really screwed Davey over That's right. here. So we see the replay of the one foot finish, the famous one foot finish. Dude, I forgot how long he dangled back and forth. Oh, he really sold this. And he kept that one leg. He was so sure to keep that one leg from touching. Like, he would keep it as high as he can. But, yeah, he dangled forever. And the refs are... Earl's over there, like, waving him safe. Earl and Tim White both, yeah. Yeah, I forgot, yeah. Even in slow-mo, it felt like an eternity. It was fucking forever, dude. Well, he had to wait for Davey's theme song to hit to know when to do his... That's probably actually the reason they did it, was to... Buy time for... It was to give Sean the cue that he's on the turnbuckle, because the refs have to be around him. Yeah, that's true. So that's actually the, the... when his music Shoot. plays is the key for you to swing back in and, and now. Right. That's true. I yeah. never really thought about that uh, until now. So, Shawn Michaels is going to WrestleMania to face Diesel. That's right. Heel Shawn Michaels, who wrestles like a babyface, who does everything except, you know, talk. The way he wrestles is a very face way it to really wrestle. Is. I mean, he's the best wrestler in the company. He's not he's not low blowing people. He's Yeah, low-blowing. he doesn't use heel tactics to win. He no. just beats you cleanly usually. So, he's the heel though, and that's what you'll have to just deal with it. But he's cocky and he's good yes. and he knows he's good, which is why people get pissed off. Yes, it's those attributes that make him a heel. Yeah. But when you're going against Diesel, who everybody legitimately doesn't like, who is you're, the face. You're a fan favorite, yeah. So, yeah, yeah. they backed themselves into a real corner here for WrestleMania 11. I tried to rebook this in my mind and try to pick a different version of how this should go to get... Because if... And the... Spoiler. The result is he loses to Diesel at WrestleMania. So if you're just right. going to send him in there to lose, who else would you sacrifice out of these... 30 people that is one of your pushed guys. That Bob Backlund. Backlund got pissed off because he got jackknife and lost in four seconds. Backlund's battling back. It's WrestleMania. Backlund's going to do it. Backlund he can't have again. Backlund in the main event of WrestleMania. Dick Murdoch. I would love to see Dick Murdoch. <laughs> well, these are just people you would want. I'm just thinking about No, I'm just saying money. it would have been great. I would almost think Luger, Luger probably would have been actually... Because if you're just going to have him lose... Bundy... Well, Bundy was uh, Bundy in was, another program. Yeah, Bundy was set for the biggest program probably of his 10 years at that point. Owen would have been great. If Brett had won the title from Diesel earlier in the night, and then you had Owen win the Rumble, and had the ultimate, the final conclusion of this battle that had been raging for two years, yeah, then that's what, yeah, I think that would have been a good direction to go in, but... Um, not against Diesel, though, because then you have... Would you have put Bulldog in that position? See, I think the problem they had with Bulldog is that they didn't trust him because of his past. Because I think I would have, like, because if the conclusion is 
whoever we send is going to lose to Diesel, then Bulldog is surely fine. To, he's good enough to do that. Um, I think it was a trust issue with Bulldog. Like, is Bulldog going to go missing? Is he, is, is he going to, like, before SummerSlam 92, like, no one could find him because he was, like, smoking crack. And, like, it was trust issues, I think, with why you couldn't do Bulldog. But you you hurt Sean. Really? I didn't know that. SummerSlam yeah. 92? Oh, yeah, SummerSlam 92. Like In Wembley? Yes. So that performance he put on that day was entirely Brett calling the match in the ring because he couldn't go over it with Bulldog because Bulldog couldn't be found, too. Damn, really? And it's an amazing match. It's a beautiful match. It's one of Brett's best. Yeah. Bulldog's best, for sure. Oh, definitely. Well, and it's it's the setting that it's in, too, that I think gives it makes it even more special. But, yeah, Bulldog had... I, just, I didn't know that, though, that he was... Yeah, he was MIA. They couldn't find him. And, really? And until the day of the show. Uh, so I think it was a trust issue of Bulldog, but he's certainly capable of going in there and losing to, to D. Backlund was still riding hot as a top guy. I think Backlund would have been... You could write that story as he's going in to get revenge for getting, you know, losing the title and, so quickly. Yeah. And then fuck it, dude. He he carries it. He carries it a good ten minutes or whatever, but loses anyway. Well, you couldn't have the Pamela Anderson stipulation. You couldn't have Pamela Anderson walking out with Bob Backlund. But so that would have to be gone. But the real main event of this WrestleMania is LT and Bam Bam on it. So that was the most pushed angle, and it really hurt Sean in the short term. I think. Uh, to have him lose his first main event. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I, why not have Luger? Luger was a co-winner last year. He's pissed off that he didn't get it full to himself. Right, and you had you had really given up on him, so why not just have him lose again? Yeah. I'm kind of confused. Where was Zuna at this time? Oh, no, he, went, he left to actually gain weight. That's what he said. He left to gain weight? Yes. So he... Why did he leave to gain weight? It just says, Yokozuna continued to wrestle briefly before taking some time off to increase his already huge weight advantage. <laughs> and he didn't reappear until April. It's it's just strange that your main eventer, top heel, is, is gone one year later, basically. Just strange. Yeah. Okay. Anyway... Uh, so then Pam gets in the ring with Sean. Sean tries to dance around her. She's having none of it, and she just leaves, which made well, me I laugh. Love, I love when Pam's standing behind him, and he's doing his whole pose and stuff, and they zoom in on Pam, and Pam's, like, rolling her eyes. Oh, yeah, that well... That shit's funny as hell to me. I kinda... I know that he... What he used to do with Sherry is shove Sherry down in front of him, yeah. and then do his pose, and I th- kinda thought that's what they would do here, but no, she was having none of it. And then I just loved he tried to dance around her and do his little Shawn Michaels dance, and she just walked away, <laughs> having none of it. And the, she... the most difficult stories, have we talked about it when we did WrestleMania 11, the most difficult celebrity to deal with wasn't Pamela Anderson. It was her fucking husband at the time. Oh, Tommy Lee. That was back there, and he was, like, all afraid I guess that she was going to like a wrestler or some shit like that. He was so difficult to deal with that they finally told him he had to leave. Well, but then they had him back a few years later because Motley Crue played an episode of Raw. That's how Test was introduced. 
yeah to us so but i mean he was literally that difficult as it pertained to her so apparently story goes after dancing around her and she got all scared and left he was livid and flipping shit backstage and all that wanting a piece of sean's ass because how dare sean dance that way how dare you do your dance so overall, what are your thoughts on this pay-per-view? It's great. It's a great pay-per-view. It's a great pay-per-view. Um, I don't think so. Really? Uh, I think it's a very entertaining rumble because of how fast it is. It only took like 30-something minutes. Uh, the rest of the show felt like a TV card, really. Uh, didn't have a lot of interest in... Diesel and Brett needed to be changed. Oh, Diesel and Brett needed to be about 15 minutes shorter. And uh, needed to probably be in front of the rumble razor uh, and Jarrett needed to be well they a were a lot shorter well they both were booked the same way too like it was infuriating watching the matches get restarted yeah. with, with all the dq stuff yeah the undertaker thing was mainly just an angle i can't criticize the wrestling in it because it was really to set up his mania program could have been shorter uh that's my problem, really, with most of the stuff on here, is it could have been shorter. But then, the Rumble would have had to been longer. And do I really want to see well done, you know, wrestle longer? No, I don't really want to see that. So, I think they did what they did because they had... This was a dark time in the, in the company as far as... They were struggling. Yes, and so they needed to fill time to even make it to the two-hour, 40-minute mark. So, I understand what they did. I re- so, I enjoyed the Rumble match uh, a lot. And that's pretty much my takeaway from it. I would watch the Rumble match, and if you're curious to see how the LT angle started, you can check it out here. I was even... I had morbid curiosity, and I watched the the next night's Raw, which Vince introduces by apologizing again to LT. And uh, the tag team champions lost their belts the very next night to the Smoking Guns. And it was pretty much the only match... On the card, there were a couple of squash matches, but and then a recap. Todd Pettengill recaps verbally what happened at the Rumble, like no still pictures even. He just stands in front of a screen and tells you it is. I'll include it here. It is awful. Like if if you think listening to us for an hour and a half is awful, listening to him for ten minutes is even worse. <laughs> so on our rating scale, Hornswoggle to Giant Gonzalez, where do you rank this pay per view? I'm going to give it a Big Dicky Murdoch. Oh, Big Dicky Murdoch. I am going to give it a Jimmy Del Rey. That's his Jimmy, word. Jiggalo Jimmy Del Rey. Jiggalo Jimmy Del Rey. Which, if he's such a gigolo, he probably should have won the Rumble and taken Pam out. That's it's, true. That's his gimmick. Well, I mean, apparently Lawler was taking her out later that evening. So, Okay, so for next week, I had a listener request they wanted us to do a saturday night's main event so we will do the last saturday night's main event before it was rebooted in 2006 the november 14th 1992 edition of saturday night's main event which features the one and only appearance of the ultimate maniacs macho man and ultimate warrior taking on money inc uh before they well, before Warrior got fired and they had to replace him for that Survivor Series. So, uh, that is... I've never seen the Ultimate Maniacs in action, so I, I want to see this pairing of Macho Man 
and Ultimate Warrior. And it sort of ties into this week, because in Hogan's tribute to Mean Gene, he mentions that Mean Gene is in heaven setting up a match with Macho Man and Ultimate Warrior in a tag team match. So why not watch that very thing? So there you go. That's where we'll go next week. The November 14th, 1992 edition of Saturday Night's Main Event. The last one. The Fox Years. Well, year. It got canceled after like three (laughs) episodes on Fox. But there you go. That'll do it for this week. I'm intern Alex. I'm the one and only the greatest referee in professed wrestling history, Patrick Young. Saying, as always, my clothesline's clothesline. And bingo, bingo. On behalf of the World Wrestling Federation, we would like to extend a sincere apology for the unprofessional conduct of Scott Bam Bam Bigelow yesterday at the Royal Rumble to Lawrence Taylor and to his family. As a result of Mr. Bigelow's actions, he has been suspended without pay. It's Todd Pettengill with your final WWF Royal Rumble report. What a night tonight here in Tampa, Florida. 1995 WWF Royal Rumble Spectacular. I want to get right into it and talk about the WWF Championship matchup. Bret Hart, Big Daddy Cool Diesel, absolutely incredible. There is no question this match lived up to every single one of the billings it possibly could have. The match went on and on. It was absolutely amazing. These superstars did anything it took to win. We saw the hitman Bret Hart do things we never thought we would. Conversely, Big Daddy Cool Diesel, same exact thing. Shawn Michaels came on in this matchup, folks, and broke it up. That's when Big Daddy Cool put the jackknife on the hitman, had a two count, in comes the heartbreak kid Shawn Michaels to break it up. Referee says, hey, this match has to continue. It does. At that point, the hitman Bret Hart gets the sharpshooter on Big Daddy Cool. Who comes on? Owen Hart to break this match up again. Incredibly enough, the referee says, hey, these guys deserve it. This match will continue, and what a matchup. Finally, in the end, Big Daddy Cool Diesel, the hitman Bret Hart, the referee also gets knocked down. As the action's taking place, the ref gets knocked off his feet, and then everybody and their uncle shows up. You had Owen Hart. You had Double J Jeff Jarrett. You had uh, the roadie. You had Bob Backlund. All these guys showing up out of nowhere when the referee went down. And, of course, other referees showing up at that point. They had no choice but to stop the match. Absolutely incredible. Big Daddy Cool Diesel retains the WWF Championship. And you know what? At the end of this one, Brett, Big Daddy Cool had to hug each other out of admiration. It was absolutely spectacular. All right, let's move on and talk about The Undertaker and IRS. This match also lived up to its unbelievable billing. IRS and The Undertaker, the thunder, the lightning, when The Undertaker came down the aisle, just spectacular. Again, the match went back and forth. It was pretty close. However, about halfway through, it became pretty obvious that Irwin was in trouble. So what did the million-dollar man Ted DiBiase do? Went and got the Druids. They come to ringside, try to distract everybody, right? Didn't matter. The Undertaker gets IRS down one, two, three, and it's over. However, The Undertaker did not have a chance to celebrate because the Druids, as they were distracting, they came on, tried to take care of The Undertaker. At that point, IRS repossesses the urn right out of the hands of Paul Bearer. He just takes it and gets out of town. Meantime, as the Druids are on The Undertaker, 
King Kong Bundy comes on, does his damage on The Undertaker as well. While The Undertaker is laying in the squared circle, those guys were gone. Bundy, Ted DiBiase, and the Druids quickly hightailed it out of town. It was an incredible matchup. The Undertaker victorious, but he definitely paid the price. They repossessed the urn. All right, folks, Intercontinental Championship also on the line at the Royal Rumble Spectacular. The bad guy, Razor Ramon, facing Double J, Jeff Jarrett, arguably two of the most athletic and flamboyant superstars in the World Wrestling Federation, and this one was absolutely incredible as well. The match went back and forth, and at one point, the bad guy, Razor Ramon, goes over the top rope and injures his knee. And out of nowhere, the roadie clips him from behind, causing a countout for the bad guy, Razor Ramon. However, the match was not over there because Double J Jeff Jarrett gets on the microphone, begins taunting Razor Ramon, calling him every name in the book. I didn't come to Tampa for a countout. This is ridiculous. I mean, he's got some nerve. The roadie caused the countout. Unbelievably enough, the referee restarts this matchup. So the bad guy, Razor Ramon, with a bad knee, hobbles back into the ring and actually mounts an unbelievable comeback. As a matter of fact, he gets Double J Jeff Jarrett up in the razor's edge. At that point, however, the knee just gave way. It was too much. And Double J Jeff Jarrett went on to become the new Intercontinental Champion in the World Wrestling Federation. An unbelievable night of action here in Tampa Bay. Totally sold out crowd at the Sundome Worldwide Audience on pay-per-view. The 1995 WWF Royal Rumble Spectacular. Are you tired of the same old pro wrestling? Then check out the amazing action on Powerslam.tv, the biggest indie pro wrestling channel in the world. Get over 4,000 hours of the best pro wrestling events from over 110 of the biggest names in the industry from over 15 countries around the globe. Get your free trial today at Powerslam.tv.